How's it going, everybody? Welcome to tonight's episode of Weirdos Assembled. Uh, our topics for tonight are going to be boots for riding gear, and we're going to be talking to some new or riders that are also interested in riding. But to start with, I am joined tonight by Rowdy Yeats. Hi, guys. I'm Rowdy. Bike's not. I ride a Beastron 650. It's fun. Right. I'm also joined by Aaron, or Nothing at Random. Hey everybody, I'm Nothing at Random. I ride a 2021 Honda Rebel 500, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Alright, I'm also joined by Bleak Rides. Hey everyone, Bleak Rides. Purveyor of all things Kawasaki. Currently living in an arctic tundra, but I'm here. And I'm also joined by Rainy Rider. Hey everybody, I'm Rainy Rider. Uh, YouTube, Rainy Rider. Instagram, Rainy, X, Rainy Rider X. I ride a BMW and a Harley Sportster. That's that's pretty much it. And I, I, I now live in the frozen <laughs> south, so here we are. <laughs> All right. For our, our guests. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so... Uh, tonight we have a downtown 650. He's out of North Carolina. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm downtown 650, and I ride a Royal Enfield Interceptor 650, uh, 20, 2022 model. How long have you been riding? Uh, since March of 2022. I bought the bike in March and just took off. Well, welcome to the club. We also tonight have Indigo Moto. Hi, um, I'm Indigo Moto, Tiffany. Um, I have an Instagram, indigo.moto, um, and I just started a YouTube. Um, I mostly ride Harleys. I have a couple in the garage, but you generally see me on a road glide that's also purple. Nice. That's all I got. Goon, <laughs> Goon back to you. All right. We are also joined by the Loose Juice. Hello, everybody. Not a guest, but I am a regular here, and I got put at the end of the order. And that's just fine. I am uh, the Loose Juice. You can find me on Instagram as the Loose Juice. So that's the with two E's. And on YouTube, you can find me as Loose Juice. And I, I ride a Kawasaki, a soon to be i'm soon to be a harley davidson rider we got a few other kawasaki's and i like bike thank you all right and last but certainly not least we have charlie also known as moto diablo hey what's happening guys moto diablo on youtube moto diablo 333 on instagram Got a small fleet of bikes, but uh, mainly I'll be found on the Suzuki uh, GSXS 1000 GT. That's all I got for you, man. All right. And you all are already familiar with me. I am the Two Wheeled Goon. You've already found my channel, so if you like what we have going on here, please make sure you subscribe. I can also be found over on Instagram 
at Two Wheeled Goon as well. And as I said earlier, our main topic tonight is answering questions from our new writers here that we have as guests. And for those of you in chat, for those of you who are joining us live, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we hope that you enjoy tonight. So, Rainy, you had some questions that you wanted to ask our guests? I did, so let's dive in. I would like to say first, for you guys out there watching, um, we're a very friendly channel. However, sometimes, sometimes in this uh, stream, things that are not kid-friendly might pop up. So if you've gathered around the TV and the Christmas tree with your children's, you probably shouldn't. So, yeah, moving on. Yeah, it's, it's we're very kid friendly, but uh, you might not want your kids to watch this stuff. So yeah, let's I think open I had up. something. <laughs> is it no daddy? No? guidance is suggested. Yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's open up. So we're so we're talking about new riders tonight. But Indigo Noto, I know you're not a new rider, but you're new to motor vlogging, getting out, and actually. Um, doing these big person-person things. So tell me what it's been like for you. Overwhelming, um, but really exciting, I guess. Um, I really do enjoy the whole learning aspect, and there's been kind of a big welcoming from the community. I really didn't expect, I guess, so much positivity from all of it. I kind of felt like this was something weird to step into, but it's actually been pretty good to learn a bunch of new things. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know it's a lot. TV does nothing positive for the motorcycle crowd. Make us look like we're all, you know, the sons of anarchy and, and the walking tall and the drug dealers and the hell's angels. When actuality, if you go to any of these group meetups, man, we're, we're, we're all friendly and everybody's friends and we just have a great time. So glad to have you here. So moving on to the a actual new rider, Downtown 650. So tell us uh, where you're from, about yourself, and how you got into motorcycles. Uh, well, I'm originally from southeast Texas, and I've been in North Carolina for 20 years. Uh, I've wanted a motorcycle for most of my adult life, but children and things, life got in the way. But now that almost all my children are grown and I am on my own, I said, you know what? I'm going to go buy a motorcycle. So I did. I, I initially looked at bigger bikes, like uh, big cruisers, and then uh, I said, what's a, and I was looking, in, and I came up on these Royal Enfields, and I asked questions about it, and then I looked at the reviews, and said, you know what, that's the bike, I'm going to get that bike right there, so that's how I ended up with my bike, I enjoy the, the mess out of it, and uh, ride it at every opportunity. I wish Nicole was here to hear that, because they'd probably give her a woody, absolutely. <laughs> So Nicole, you didn't, you haven't got to meet Nicole's not here tonight, but she owns a Royal Enfield uh, dealership. She owns, she, yeah, she's uh, in the chat. Oh, she in the chat. Yeah. She I was in, she, her. I saw her a minute ago. Dude, I'm, I'm following three different screens. So it's hard for me to <laughs> chat, but yes, Nicole, <laughs> Nicole would be very excited uh, that you're, you're on in Royal right. Enfield. So say hi to Nicole. Love my bike. Yeah. Hi Nicole. And I, I love that paint job. It is the, in case people don't know, the paint job on that 650 you have is a downtown. That is actually yeah, it's called downtown paint. drag. So it's black and uh, black and gray with a like a turquoise pinstripe on it. So. And it is a very neat bike. Yep, so, I enjoy it. So for all of us here, I think between us, we've 
probably got years and years of riding, but who, who's the, who's the next newest rider? Probably Aaron. Cause he's only what? 12. So how long have you been riding Aaron? <laughs> uh, By the yeah, way, so love the that grandson. haircut. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> damn it, Randy. Uh, so <laughs> I, I got my license in 2018, but I didn't really start riding until last April when I bought the ripple. And you've yeah, done like how many you? iron iron butts on that rebel, like uh, a fucking two. psychopath? Yeah, two. Chase. How One. many uh, iron butts have you done? Yeah. Oh wait, never mind. It's not Chase. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, done two. One documented on my Instagram uh, from March, and then I did an iron butt on my way down to this most recent Forgotten Angels camp out. Dude, so you got your license later than or earlier than me. Um. So I guess that makes me the youngest rider-ish. Um, yeah, right on. So we're, we're sharing a spot there, uh, Aaron. Cool, yeah. So I got you in a motorcycle. And Bleak, I know you're – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I felt like riding one day. I'd Like my job is dedicated to highway safety, and I was like, well, how much closer do you get, can you get to highway safety than – riding a bike so took uh took the class and then a month later i bought a bike and then a week after i bought the bike i rode to virginia from florida and so yeah like that yeah to follow up a little closer to safety and with other modes of transportation on the highway <laughs> well i mean so the, the safety that we do is uh, related to driver behavior and okay. so, like, I don't think that you could get closer to driver behavior-related safety than being on a bike. Yeah, that's just that's my true. thoughts. I was just being a jackass. It's all good. It's all good, man. I think riding a motorcycle probably makes you a better driver at everything else because all of a sudden you notice everything that's happening around you. In a car, we talked about this on the last stream. In a car, you're in a bubble. You shut out everything, and you have this real false sense of security that I'm just going to hold the steering wheel, and it's going to go in the direction I want it to, and that's it. And if somebody bumps me, oops, they bumped me. Well, if somebody bumps me on a motorcycle, I'm going down. So I'm going to be much more alert about what people are doing around me than I'm going to be in a car. So Your I think, situational awareness is on, on you know, 10 when you're on the bike. Absolutely. Right. So Justin the Juice, how long have you been riding? Fumbling around. I actually... Um... So I got my first street bike in April of 2021, but I have been riding uh, dirt bikes since I was a little kid. I took probably a 10 year stint from it just because my parents didn't really have the money for it from like when I was in third grade up until like I was in college and saved up money, bought, uh, bought my first adult dirt bike in like 2018. So I was familiar, familiar with riding on two wheels ahead of being a street rider. So I think I'm still fairly new, but I, I, I feel pretty confident. I'm not expert level like you, Mike. I think I'm actually sorry. I'm actually at the level I'm starting to forget things. I've actually forgotten more things that I've learned or than other people probably have learned. But anyway, so, yeah, it's it's what a heavy thrill. So, so uh, Bleak, would you probably be next? What's your age? I, I know. Yeah, I know, it's uh, uh... <laughs> Uh, I'm at a year and I think about eight months. 
uh, a buddy of mine had been riding for years and insisted that this would fill the hole that was missing in my life. That's what and she he said. Was, he was right. I fell in head first and just fell totally in love with, with riding and the connection to the, the world it gave me. So I bought a Ducati 800 for a first bike. And I learned to ride on that, went to riding school, got my license, and then uh, decided the Ducati was a bit much and traded that in for a Kawasaki Z900 because I also felt, I don't know, let's go bigger. And by about the year mark was buying my second bike because uh, when you fall in head first, you become a total addict for two wheels. It's going to happen. There's going to be another purchase. And at a year and eight months, I'm now looking at a third bike because I, I don't know, you know, again, can't stop a, a good thing. So it's been a wild ride. And I have met more positive people like Indigo was saying in her intro in this community and had more fun in the last year and a half and more of a connection, kind of some of the things I've been looking for in life uh, than any other time in life. If you don't mind, I'm going to take the take the floor for a second, just because I'm, I'm looking at the chat on YouTube and I, I see the journey of Jerry is saying his first motorcycle was a 1972 MX 100 Indian, which I think is really neat. So if you're in that YouTube chat, I would suggest drop what your first bike or bike, whatever it was, the first motorized two wheel vehicle, uh, even if it's a scooter, we like scooter people too. throw it in the chat. Let us know what it is. We'll shout you out. Yeah, Aaron rides a scooter. Yep. <laughs> um, Dave Howard also brought up a good point that his wife has noticed how much better driving in a cage that he is since he started ri riding a motorcycle because it does make you more aware. You you understand more. Oh, definitely. If that makes sense. You, you start looking at things. You start looking at which way a car's wheels are turning as opposed to looking at the car. You really start paying attention to brake lights. And I find I start getting irate when I'm in the cage and somebody doesn't use a turn signal when somebody's clearly not paying attention. Because I immediately think, if I was on the bike, would I make it home with you on the road? I mean, you, you begin to view everything uh, sort of as uh, Ryan Fortnine would say that, you see everything as you're invisible and and you have to approach the world that way and then when you get in your car you go to drive around you can't turn it off that like i said that situational awareness is just on 10 now and and the familiarity honestly like you know we all hop in a car we get to work we 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 wake up while we're in the car uh you're you're, you're piloting an explosion powered you know, cage filled with meat. And a lot of people don't keep that in mind. And that's, it's just important to know that cars are dangerous. They're the third leading cause of death in the world. And uh, yeah. yeah. Dave Howard just said you, you start to predict people. And I think having a bike and taking, so I've taken now, so I took my first MSF course back in 1902. I'm sorry, 1992. <laughs> so, uh, but the first thing they told me was, um, and, and we've all heard this, treat every person on the road like they're trying to kill you because they might. 
And through all these MSF courses, the common thing is they tell you, look at people's heads. If people are have their heads up, if they're looking down, if looking over, if they keep looking back and forth, back and forth, because a lot of times, even if they don't use their blinker, it's, I say it's giving me ESP because I can always almost tell when somebody's going to move because all of a sudden they'll start looking over. And even if their blinker's on or not, I know they're fixing to come over. And if they're looking down, looking up, looking around, there's no telling where they're going to go because they're not paying attention to anything. And that's the person that I will get as far into the outside lane as I can because you know they're about to just do something dumb. Well, one of the uh, one of the things that stuck me stuck with me in the MSF was how dedicated the coaches were to your own head position. Uh, they would look at your helmet, and if your helmet was pointed in the right way, they wouldn't say anything. But if you weren't looking where you were supposed to be going they would be, they'd be on your ass a little bit. Um, and I think what you just said speaks to how drivers drive, like pay attention to which, which direction their head is going. And it, it, it makes a difference in your ability to ride and your ability as a rider coach, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So something I can add in here is when I was in the MSF course, they, the one thing I took home most from what they discussed wasn't that, uh, don't think you're invisible because then you'll think you can get away with certain things that you really shouldn't try. But they did drive home that, you know, treat it like, you know, somebody playing GTA, everyone in a cage is out there with the goal to run your ass over so they can get stuff. You know, they don't care if it inconveniences you or hurts you as long as they're getting where they want to go, which I know that's not the case. A lot of those accidents are unintentional, but it's just have that mindset. So you're watching for it. And, you know, they, other thing, when I was a new writer uh, or when I got my license, but before I really started writing, I was consuming as much motor blogging content as I could because I, I myself, I can hear something. I don't learn from it. I have to see it. I have to be hands-on with it. And I found a lot of Dan, Dan, the fireman's educational, like accident reports where he takes the recorded accidents and goes through like step by step and explains, you know, what were the signs that you could have taken notice of to prevent it. So like you mentioned, Rainey, about um, like watching their head to see where they're looking. If they're not using a turn signal, that kind of forewarns you at an intersection, watch the tires of the vehicle, because if they're turning, they're moving. Even if it doesn't look like the body of the car is, if you see that wheel spinning, that's what you watch for. And, you know, if you're in a long line of vehicles and there's a gap in front of you and the line of cars beside you is just, you know, bumper to bumper, expect someone to cut over in front of you because they don't want to be in that slow lane of traffic. And a lot of those little tips that Dan Dan explained in his uh, after accident review videos, I, I took a lot of those notes and kind of kept them in my mind, especially when I first started writing again last year. I make a lot of fun of DDFM because he, it's funny whenever he says something like, oh, too much back brake, I always laugh because it's, it's never too much back brake. But uh, he's very good with his after action stuff. And if, if when you watch his stuff, there's certain people that he really harps on. And one of them is Max Wrist. I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched Max Wrist things. The dude, I'm like, if I see a Max Wrist video, another dude's about to crash. I think he does that on purpose because it drives up his stuff. I think the dude's part of a broken every bone in his body. But side note, um, 
yeah, it's it's fun to go back and watch a lot of this stuff. And my favorite one to watch is one called Moto Stars, because um, Dan Dan will actually use Moto Stars videos because Moto Stars he's actually used two of my videos when I actually had to go on a cra- on a crash scene and do in render aid um, because he'll just he keeps it very clean. I think a lot of times Dan will over he'll over narrate the crash. Um, Motostar will basically say, this is what happened. And you kind of make your own decision and you can, you can figure it out for yourself. But um, there's lots of good crash videos out there. You can watch and go, yep, that's, that's not what I want to do. But Well, I'm going to jump in here. Um, when you're new, that, that it's in, everything's new. You're, you're kind of sketchy on the bike. Maybe your positioning isn't just right. You're looking over here. You're trying to do your best looking over there while still controlling this machine. And a lot of it, I think, is just keeping your head up. Don't get carried away with what's the bike doing? What Am, am, I, am I operating the clutch right? Is it going to take off on me? I remember everything going through my head all the time. And after a little bit of riding, actually kind of clearing up and being able to focus, because uh, in the very beginning, I mean, going around the block was like, a new experience. It was sketchy. And then I, I had an 800. So the bike had plenty of power to, to yank on. And it, it really helps um, to just slow down. And I don't, I don't know, just take things as if you're a, a kid learning something new. I say ride your own ride. And that's what everybody says. And I don't think a lot of people take that to heart, but I mean, even, even as experienced riders, there are points when we're riding our ride that all of a sudden something that was very, easy before all of a sudden we're not in for it today there's curves i've taken before it you know on plus miles an hour and on certain days i'm just not feeling it so i'm gonna i'm gonna go slower today i don't feel like doing this today i'm gonna go a little slower but uh J- jerry just made a good point always see an escape room uh, if anybody remembers does anybody remember my video that i did it was a short i made where a guy was was coming up behind me in a lumber truck Car on, car on my left all of a sudden hit a, a railroad sign and stopped. The car on the right saw him stop, and for no reason he stopped too. And I went to stop and looked up, and I had 88 lumber truck behind me that was loaded with lumber that wasn't stopping. So I'd already decided to shoot between the two cars, and, and you know Tennessee is not a lane splitting state, but that day it was because I made because I split that lane, and I heard them. I heard the brakes come on behind me. I didn't even look back, and I'm like, whatever happened back there does not involve me. I'm out of here. So yeah, I, I constantly when think when too many brake lights start coming on, I look for a way out, and, and you have to you have to find that way out. Hundred percent. So we're, um, Dave, we're, we're skip. Go ahead. Uh, Dave Howard also brought up a good point that he was working as a MSF rider coach for a bit, and that allowed him to raise his awareness of other people to a whole new level. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I can't talk. Um, I've wanted to volunteer for the MSF rider coach stuff because that, that, it seems fun. They're trying to get like riders on base now to do the MSF course on base. And uh, and I got free time. I'm, I'm actually thinking about doing it because all of a sudden now my weekends are free. So, shit, why not? Yeah, I mean, We're well, it's required over. for all bases. Well, no, they're looking for instructors now on oh. the base. So... You know, to teach the basic class and the advanced class. So, and it's, I, I've literally, you know, I, I started taking the, the military course. They made, they, it wasn't mandatory when I first came in in 89, but it's like, you know, why not get it? Because it makes your insurance go down. I'm a young sailor on a sport bike. 
I, I might as well take this class and make my insurance go down. Well, the next thing you know, not five years later, they're like, oh yeah, you got to take it every three years. You need to get, get on base and take this course. So I've taken them every three years from, from starting in 1995, every three years. So, and I've taken some challenging courses just because there was nothing else to take. And I was tired of taking, you know, the same course over and over. And at one point they made me go back and retake the basic again because I'd taken them all. And they're like, well, you got to take something. You can't take the same one you took last year. Take the basic again. So I'm back and through, did the three-day course, but I did it on a Buell Blast. And that was an absolutely different from, so that time I was riding the BMW, the 1100 RT. And going from the RT and from the Gunner down to a Buell Blast, night and day. Totally different control techniques. So it actually was a, like, it was almost like learning to ride again on it, on this different bike. And it was crazy. So I guess, I, can, I guess I'm encouraging everybody to, it was totally, it was a total blast. Um, so you're going, well, I was used to riding and, and I'll tell you this, a big bike will give you a false sense of confidence. Cause if you start going down on it, if you lose control, like if you just hit that throttle and you drive yourself out of it. So you actually start to lose a lot of the fine motor skills. You get on a bike that's underpowered, you know, like Aaron's bike and you've got to use all, <laughs> sorry, Aaron. No, I'm not, I'm not sorry at all. But you have to you have to use all the skills that you've learned because you don't have that power to drive you out of a of a hard you know situation then. So and there were a lot of times in that course I have never dropped a bike in my life. I took that course all of a sudden, I go from this ninety eight horsepower bike, a touring bike, down to this thirty six horsepower little cruiser. It was hard. I am not gonna lie, it was hard. And I actually had to do all the things, you know, that they tell you to do in the class that I never had to do because the, the horsepower always saved me. I agree with David. Dave, what he just put in the chat is, as you are doing, he's he encourages everybody to go take the advanced riders course. Uh, it does teach you a lot of skills. And I had a blast doing the advanced riders course, um, especially since it was the same day that I got the my new lowrider. Yeah, so you, it was you, you get to brand do new bike, course. whole new experience. <laughs> well, I've taken the basic, the basic course twice, the advanced course, the touring course, and then the sport bike course. And by far, the advanced riding course, they just let you do things. You take any bike you want to out there and ride it. And so at that time, I think I was on the Saber, and dude, we tore it up, and they let us do crazy stuff out there. And then we all went for a group ride and rode around St. Louis. So that and that's not something obviously they let you do the basic course. So it was a lot more fun. I think it was a lot more of let's find out what you can do, not just here's your benchmark. Let's hit your benchmark and get you a license. Right. Um, Tiffany, have you taken any of the courses? Um, I mean, I, I took my basic MSF course like a decade ago, um, but I'm actually looking at doing the writer coach thing. Um, I have so many of the girls that come to me and I get to help them actually I think three out of my last four videos includes one of the girls that I'm helping her get into riding um, a little bit more. So I'm kind of I'm kind of wanting to take some of the advanced courses. I just haven't. I've just been riding for a while. And Florida, you're only required to take it for you know your license to start with. And I did that a while ago. So that's it. So downtown 650, uh, he's having uh, some weather issues in his area and could not get back on the uh, network. So, but he sends his love and says, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out where he went. <laughs> he's got, so he's in North Carolina. He's in, uh, right outside Angier. Um, so they're, I'm sure having 
it's North Carolina. <laughs> They're having some snowstorms and ice storms right now. So he's having some trouble trying to get back onto the network, but he says he'll, he'll try if he can. If not, Merry Christmas. Tell everybody uh, it was awesome being on. I, I hope we get so. him back because I, I really want an Indian and I just want to hear about everybody else's experience with the, uh, the Himalayan. So just throwing this out there, a takeaway from what was just said by Rainey is that the Northern States are easily superior. To what? Yeah, that's what Shit. I heard as well. I mean, because I can ride today without problem. I'm not sure which northern state you're talking about, but uh, it sure as hell ain't Ohio. Massachusetts is kind of cool. Illinois is kind of cool, but I don't know what there is. Illinois, Illinois is not that cool. Illinois is, like I said, probably the first state that I've been regulated into not riding a motorcycle in. So yeah. it, was, it was very odd. And Illinois does very weird laws. Um, second scariest state I've ever been pulled over in, New Jersey being the first, because when the Jersey trooper got out with his, you know, boots on that went up all the way to his testicles, I was a little scared. <laughs> I thought he was going to whip out some SS stick and start beating this shit out of me. So yeah, it was, so, it was fucking scary. Real, real quick, I wanna, I'm going to interject here on behalf of Sid. She asked a question for Indigo. Sid wants to know if you are going to go to Babe's Ride Out. Which one? Uh, probably New York this next year. I don't know if I'll make it to California, um, but it's on the possibilities list. There's a lot of things I want to go to. I did so Babe's Ride Out in New York last year, so and I froze to death. I kind of already know this. It was 46, answer, like when I woke up. I wasn't ready. I wore everything that day, and I, the girls were talking to a tent because I didn't want to come out. So Indigo Moto, tell us the kind of rides you take, because I thought this – I got to have a one-on-one on you, a little mini uh, interview with you. Tell us about the kind of rides you take uh, and how dangerous any, it is to ride with you. I mean, I just – I'll ride anything and everything. So, yeah, I like to do a lot of long distance, um, but I also ride to and from every day to work. So, I mean, just a little bit of everything. I mean, I did ride a lot this year. I like to ride solo typically, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm down for going across country apparently solo too. You're telling me about a ride you just took and you told somebody, I hope you're ready. Yeah. Um, I mean, if people like to come with me, it's, I, I don't really slow down much, not in the um, over speeding way. But, uh, you know, a thousand miles a day doesn't really bother me too much. You know, tank to tank, dusk to dawn or dawn to dusk kind of riding. Um, so I did ride across this, the country. So you're saying someone that does a thousand miles is not special. Aaron. No, sorry, Aaron. <laughs> and she does it on a Harley. Well, no, so she looks cooler. Doesn't affect us at all. <laughs> well, OK, now, hold on. Essence, I think, looks pretty damn sexy. Uh, to her a, bike, I have no competition, Aaron. No competition. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So, Indigo, People, how did when they see you on the highway, Aaron, they just think he's insane for trying to bring a scooter to highway speeds. <laughs> it's probably like the space shuttle Columbia on re-entry. It's about to rattle apart. <laughs> it's losing. It's just losing tiles. <laughs> so, funnily enough. Um, I finally lost my first part off of the bike and it was a single nut holding on one of the passenger pegs. 
oof, I don't know when I lost it. I lost it at some point on my way home from Forgotten Angels. And I realized it when you busted I a nut? bike in the garage. I... <laughs> <laughs> I think he just lost it. He didn't have a chance to bust it. It just, just went. Nope, it just disappeared. <laughs> Looked down, it was gone. <laughs> I lost my uh, nut. Well, there goes the kids. <laughs> anyways, I, I put the bike away in the garage and I looked down. And I'm like, oh, my rear, the rear peg looks like it got bent. I was like, how the hell did that happen? And when I looked at it, it was completely missing the nut on the back of it. So I could have completely lost the rear peg at any given point because I have no idea how long I didn't have a nut on it. Well, as Harley riders, we use Loctite on everything. I highly encourage Facts. you. Didn't think I'd need that with the Honda. It's not a trail well, 125, man. It, when, it sh- when it shakes above 50 miles an hour, you should probably put some Loctite on it. Yeah, there's many ways to get your nut off, really. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> so, Indigo, how long have you been riding and how did you get into riding? Um, okay, so I, you- I learned 20 years ago. Um, I grew up in a family of bikers. My dad rides, my, my mom rides, my grandmother used to ride. So I actually didn't think anything of it when riding when I was younger, actually so much that I didn't realize you needed a motorcycle license in the state of Florida. So I didn't get my motorcycle license until 10 years after that, because I didn't think anything of it. Um, so I got it in 2012 finally, and then progressively I've rode more and more because I've turned it into not just to and from work or to and from school or whatever it was to an actual hobby now. Um, I guess you can call motorcycling a hobby. I don't really know what you would call it, but it's turned into more than just instead of I couldn't afford a car, I ride a motorcycle kind of situation. Um, so I got into it because pure necessity to get from point A to point B, but now it's turned into more of that, I guess. Um yeah, I don't really know beyond that. No bad answers there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Charlie, we're kind of leaving you out here. How did you get into motorcycling? What was your first motorcycle? I'd always kind of been interested in it. And uh, I think it was like 2007. I was kind of interested in a KLR 650. And I saw one in person. A little uh, intimidating to me. So I just put that, I, I actually got into cycling after that. So I kind of just put that on the back burner until 2015. I was like, okay, it's time. Uh, I had like a, a 2009 ER6N, which is like the Ninja 650, but a naked bike. And uh, yeah, man, it took going out for like the first time ever. And I was like, yeah, I love this. This is the greatest thing ever. But uh, no M- no MSF classes for me. Like, uh, I kind of taught myself everything from watching. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, Twist of the Wrist by Keith Code or whatever his name is. I don't know if you guys I love Keith Code. Videos. He rides, yep, he rides the Beamers. I love Keith Code. Those, I just took in everything I could from YouTube, man. But, uh, yeah, man, I've been doing it like eight years, like right at eight years now. And I've loved every minute of it. If I can, I wanted to get back into something that Indigo said, talking about riding out of necessity. Um, I have three broken down vehicles in my driveway right now, and I have three motorcycles in my driveway that are, uh, well, two of them run, one needs brakes, but they all go. And, like, I, I just think it's cool. Like, 
is in America, motorcycling is kind of a niche thing, but in a lot of other countries, it's not. It's it's the the primary mode of transportation, and I just I don't know. It, it gets me excited to think about all the different ways that you can leverage and maximize the use of a motorcycle to just you know go about your daily life. Like if you need to move stuff, there's a whole subreddit dedicated to that called motorcycle logistics. I don't know, something I like. Yeah, I mean, I'm a daily rider up until I started this new job. Uh, if, if it rained, sleet, snow, there were literally last year, three times I actually rode a four-wheel vehicle to work. Other, every other time, it was one of the motorcycles. So, and it's, one, I think it's just, it's just easier. It's easier to throw everything in a backpack, jump on the bike, or throw everything in your trunk and haul ass. And in the car, it just seems like there's just so much more you have to do to get it out of the garage, move it, get it through traffic. I always tell everybody, you know, they ask, how long does it take you to get to work? And I said, well, if I take a car, it's 25 minutes. If I take the bike, it's 15 minutes. And it's not because I speed. It's because I accelerate quicker. I can get through traffic that I can't get through in the car. So, very so, much more smart. And, like, the logistics thing is just fun to figure out. Like, I, I came home tonight from Dollar General with groceries in bags strapped to my backpack, like with a little, uh, I got a hiking backpack. And so it had like, it has a couple of little areas where you can put carabiners on. And I'll just be rolling down the road with like five shopping bags hanging on the side of my backpack. I've also noticed that when I take the bike, everybody around me moves quicker because nobody wants to be passed by a motorcycle. They take it personally. They say, what, motorcycle? Shit, I'm going to go faster. Oh, I'm faster than you. What do you, who you think you are? So and if you're in a car, everybody's just poking around. Nobody wants to get to work. You come rumbling up on a motorcycle, everybody either gets out of your way or they all go faster. Especially if it's 30 degrees because they all think you're crazy. Nobody else has, wants a thing to do with you. Yeah. Bleak, you had something you, you wanted to... <laughs> yeah. So this past year, I had the opportunity to go out of country and I went to Colombia, and I had a chance to rent a motorcycle down there and the videos on my YouTube channel. Uh, and to follow up with the necessity, everyone there rode, there was eight motorcycles on the road to every one car. Uh, I've seen people with giant propane canisters strapped to the back of a bike, just going up a hill that looked like it was doom, you know? And so, I actually, I, I really was excited to have that opportunity and rent a bike and ride down there because they had like no traffic laws and it was nothing but experience to get to do that. Um, all the, all the same stuff we've been talking about with just being aware, being observant went out the window because we had people just passing cars right and left, cutting through every bit of traffic. The only thing you had to do was stop. If there was a, a stoplight, you had to stop at the stoplight. And uh, just the whole necessity of riding every day. When I got back, it it furthered my want to adopt that and ride as much, commute as much as I could. And I'll tell you, commuting, I think, helped me a lot in just how I handle my bike. Instead of always on the throttle, because I got little sport bikes, you know, I got a, a 900 and a 1,000. And they move. Uh, but slowing that down again and, and just moving through traffic appropriately and going on my way to work when everybody else is too and everybody's in a hurry, that really helped me learn, I think, some of the more important skills that I needed to pick up 
with my writing. That's all I wanted to add. So Dave, Dave is saying that uh, states don't consider your bike uh, transportation. Uh, they do. And on your insurance, it might, I mean, both of my bikes, the insurance on both of my bikes is still a quarter of the insurance on one of my cars. So both of my bikes for a year of insurance is $500. My cars, I think are probably a hundred bucks a month. So you, you, insurance, transportation, recreation, be damned. It's so much cheaper to operate a motorcycle than it is a car. Well, I learned was, uh, my, my 2019 runs about 50 bucks a month for insurance. My O2 Connie, 20 bucks. It's cheap. It's like dirt cheap. cheap. Yeah. Older bikes are great. Yeah. I've got 19 BMW and then I've got a 21 Harley 500 bucks a year. I wish USAA still did insurance on motorcycles. They don't. Now you got to go through progressive, but it's underwritten through USAA. So, and it's still, it's still less money. I don't even get the bone. I don't even get the multi-vehicle discount anymore. Cause I only, I have two on one policy and two on the other and it's still cheaper. So goon, I guess you're the next longest rider. Well, how, what'd you, how'd you get into riding? <laughs> what was your first bike? Uh... <clears throat> I got into riding, Jesus Christ, at probably when I was like four years old. I started on a, a little 50cc dirt bike. You have and to say that in the Australian accident, accident like the dirt bike rider. I saw it on a PW250. <laughs> Remember um, that guy? But, yeah. <laughs> but then I... My first road bike was my 79 CB750 that I originally rebuilt um, just to put back and forth to work. But then when it went, finally went down, um, after we moved to Alaska, I got the Iron 883 before it met its glorious end last year. And now I've had Siren ever since. Dude, you lived in Alaska? Kia Blaze of Glory. Yeah, Blaze of Glory. And where have you been the past nine episodes, Rowdy? We've talked about this. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) That's a future point. Yeah, the good thing about having a bike on base is all the motorcycle parking is right up front. And on a pier, that's a big thing. Because in Norfolk, in in the actual Naval Operations Base... That parking runs back a mile and a half. And if you've got a motorcycle, you can park right on the pier. So see the problem is what the bases that I've been on, um, parking is ridiculously limited. So having the six motorcycle spots up front and a surprisingly few number of people that ride really, really helps out. Yeah, yeah. The place I'm working now has uh, twenty motorcycle spots. They're all up front and I'm the only one that parks in it. So when so well, well I guess so, has everybody got in their bikes yet and how they got started? Not the last one. Uh, I think grandpa, you are the, the last one to go. Well, back in nineteen thirty two. You said nineteen oh one. 
1901. Tell me what World War One and Two well, was like. Well, those were dirt bikes. I'm getting into the first street bike. No, I got into uh, <laughs> so yeah. Early, in the early, I'm mean, like early 80s, like 81. I got my first uh, real dirt bike. I got a Suzuki uh, 90, and it was also what I ran to the store on. I was out, lived out in the country, so that was also my recreation bike. And the oh, so we need bread and milk. Run to the store on it. So that was when I first learned how to start commuting groceries on a motorcycle. So went up in bikes then, my first real street bike. My stepbrother uh, bought a Honda 454 Limited. And that's the same one I was telling Aaron that uh, Nicole had three of them in her shop. And I was very interested. And I'm actually still talking to her about one that she has still in repair that I want. So we're getting there. But uh, yeah, joined join the Navy. Um, like I said, it was it's so much easier to, to ride motorcycles. So I kept riding motorcycles and I got out of the Navy. I got married, had a Honda Magna. Liked that I had a motorcycle and she wanted me to get rid of it. So we got divorced three months later and <laughs> I got another motorcycle. And, you know, that I, I just kept moving up. I mean, I, I cannot imagine what my life without a motorcycle would be like. It'd be boring. And that's it. I mean, if I didn't have something I could go out there and crawl on and say, oh, let's go somewhere. Life would not be the same. Kid couldn't, I couldn't see it. I keep forgetting that I mute my mic. Um, but now your current wife actually loves to ride my, with you. She'll go two up. My current wife, yes. So when I, when I got with this wife, I was poor, trying to get back on my feet. We didn't have one. We moved to Arkansas. My neighbor had three motorcycles and was trying to sell a Yamaha 750. So I went over to talk to him about it, and he was work wrenching on this old 1977 BMW R100. And I said, hey, I'm here to get that Yamaha. And he goes, I already sold it. And he goes, hey, what? Just take this one. And I said, no, I can't afford this one. He goes, just take it, pay what you think it's worth. He goes, get it running and it's yours. Just take it. So I worked on that bike, got it running. And after paying him for about six months, he said, yeah, that's enough money. You can have it. And it was on. That was my first BMW, my first re-entry into motorcycles. And we used to tour, we used to went everywhere on that one. And then we, when I wrecked that one, we got a, a, a silver wing 650 in 1984. We rode all over on that one. Then I got the Sabre. Then I got the R1, the, the new R1100, the RT. And we kept moving up. And now, and then I had, now I've got the BMW. So she loves going places with me. I love taking her places. Um, yeah, I, I don't see an end. I don't, I don't see where it's going to stop. It won't. Yeah, it's, it's same here. I don't, I don't foresee a, a time that I'm not going to have a motorcycle. Um, Mad Yankee in the chat, I have to bring this up, said that he refuses to use the bike parking where he works because they have it right next to the EV char charging spot next to all the Teslas. Yankee, my solution to that is go buy a live wire and then take one of their spots. I think he should because get out there that's, on... That's sound take, advice. Take the muffler off when they go out there to charge their cars, just rev the shit out of that motorcycle and then take off. And Ranger looks extremely comfortable in your lap. Where is he? Oh, oh. there he is. <laughs> Ranger the lap dog. Yeah, he's a big lap dog, but he was down by my feet, and he's just kind of been moseying. I didn't want to leave him upstairs with the other dogs. So I'm at my parents' place right now, and they we literally have, with Ranger here, seven dogs, and only two of them are small dogs. So it's been a lot. I just got him, uh, was it two weeks ago at this point? No, 
week, not, no, no, like a week and some change. So it's been an introduction, but he's a good boy. He's my good boy. He's adorable. He is <laughs> probably one of the cutest dogs I've seen in a while. Yeah, I'd be, I'd bring mine in here, but she's so big, she'd probably take up everything. So she also was a rescue. I think I, I told uh, um, Rowdy about him or her. But yeah, she, she when we first got her, she weighed a pound and a half and they didn't think she was going to live. And we started letting her sleep in the bed because she was, her back legs wouldn't work. So I'd pick her back in. So we, she had her, we had her sleeping between us. Now she weighs 80 pounds. So, and she still thinks she belongs between us and still thinks she weighs a pound and a half. So, <laughs> yeah, take that for what it's worth. The goal, man. <laughs> but it's good. She's a lovely dog. We love her. She's so sweet. So, so. I got Rascal, my pity, wherever – no, no, just the fat Sheppies over there right now. Um, we got him when he was four to six weeks old. I, I don't remember exactly, but – and I think I've told this story before. His litter was dropped off in a box in the middle of the road. And he – when the somebody turned him into the pound, he was the smallest one. They just so happened to have another pity – that had recently had a litter, so she was taking over nursing for them. But as soon as they were ready, we took Rascal home with us, brought him home, and we've had him for the last 10 years. He would, as he would let us know he had to go outside to potty by crawling up our bed from the little makeshift pen that we had made for him. And I would get woken up in the middle of the night with just licks. Yeah, she, she gets up to bed. Go and to mom, she, not dad. So she's half lab, half blue healer, and she talks. And when you're not paying attention to her, she talks really loud. She doesn't bark. She talks. So she goes, oh, 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 oh. We should have so, named her Elvis. <laughs> oh. On the new writer topic. <laughs> What was everyone's uh, first incursion into the rain like? I was born in the rain. Well, we know he is the that. standard by which we measure ourselves. Hang on, I have a, yeah. I have a guest. I think she wants to get on. So for Still, me, I, go ahead, Rowdy. I mentioned earlier that I uh, my my first iron butt was like a week after I bought my bike. Um, I rode to Virginia. And I went to Richmond. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with Richmond, but the weather in Richmond is very similar to, like, the weather in the U.K. Basically, it rains all the time, and it's cold, and it, it, it sucks. Uh, and so my trip up there, I got dumped on the entire ride. And I had some frog dogs because at the MSF, they were like, yeah, just grab some frog dogs. You'll be fine. No, <laughs> I wasn't fine. I was soaked. I was soaked all the way to the bone for pretty much the whole 11-hour uh, trip. Like, the first two hours were dry, and then it was just nothing but rain. So my baptism was very much a, a motorcycle baptism in water. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I I'm not complaining about it in any in any way, like it 
it's just part of riding. Like you're going to get wet. It is what it is. Yeah. Someone oh, once told me, and I think we, maybe it was somebody in one of the chats, but they said, uh, when you're riding in the rain, the cold, um, let it kill you. And I can't remember where we saw that. I think we, I think one of you was in the chat with me when they were talking about it, but basically it's just let it take you because it can't kill you. And once you stop worrying about it, once you start fretting about it and just live with it, it just becomes part of you. I mean, I, I live in Florida. We get more rain than most states, like 50 inches a year easily. And honestly, I, in all these years riding, I actually only bought rain gear last year and I still don't wear it regularly because I'm just used to riding in the rain because it's going to rain and it's going to stop raining and it's also going to be hotter than hell in a second and you'll dry off. But I'm so used to riding in the rain. I couldn't even tell you the first time I rode in the rain at this point. Like it's the, the, wind will, the wind will dry you off too. Like, Yeah. I mean, nice. your butt might be still wet, but you'll be all right. So you need to get that sheepskin. Then you won't have to worry about that. I don't know. It might be a little hot down here for that sheepskin. I still wonder. No, but there's, no, no, there's actually, a purple one. The sheepskin is magical. It really is. Um, and you can, if you get them at Alaska level, you can get them dyed. But yeah, it's yeah. in the winter. In the winter, they're warm. In the summer, they're cool. In the rain, it keeps keeps you from getting swamp ass after it stops raining because they just, I mean, sheep are like, I don't know, they, they got it going on. You know, God's magical creature because as soon as it stops raining, it's dry. You're sitting, you're sitting dry. It lets the air circulate around all your, you know, heavenly bits. And, but when it's cold, it, it keeps you warm. I can't explain it. You know, it's, it's not my thing to explain, I guess, because I'm not supposed to, but it just works. And that's all I can say. It's on the to-do list to get one. Now that I've seen it in purple, it's on the to-do list, but we'll see. Did you just say heavenly the bits? Way you ride. <laughs> I said heavenly bits, and I meant it. <laughs> so, well, she Indigo already took my, my Florida jab because I was like, yeah, it may get the most rain, but it rains for, what, 10 minutes at a time, and she's dry five minutes after it stops raining. So It's going downpour, though. Oh, I caught a couple on my way to Forgotten Angels. <laughs> yeah. So for me, my first time in the rain was when I was still very new to riding. So like I said, I got Last my bike. Year? Yeah. You know, I got my bike in April. Fucking and it child. Was, uh, uh, it was what? It was May when Pharaoh East was doing their first Fridays at Pharaoh like bike night. And I saw that Jess, her two wheels, said that she was going to go there. And I'm like, sure. Why not? Let's let's get on the interstate for the first time and go from where I'm, I'm at all Jess. the way there. I'm friends with yeah, fuck off. <laughs> um, so I went there, and that was my first time ever meeting her. That was my first time going to any type of event. But I got there, and it looked like it was going to storm. I checked my radar on my phone. I was like, I literally have 20 minutes to leave before I'm soaked. So I got there, went inside, said hi, turned around and left. I was on my last three miles home, and I wasn't dressed warm and it was freezing it was like 40 degrees outside and it just dumped on me and your diving bits got wet and every everything got wet <laughs> so uh, oh. yes. <laughs> nicole wants to know why you're always saying uh, yeah i so rode started blasting jazz, but you never say i rode with nicole well at that point i didn't know nicole <laughs> so you're not that special Wow. I mean, I hung out with Nicole for quite a while the other day. 
Yeah, I said, like, hey, I'm leaving. And it was, what, quarter till four, four o'clock? I said, hey, I'm leaving. Walked outside. She was outside, and we talked for an hour in the setting sun in 20-degree weather. So, I think I spent an hour yeah. of time talking with Nicole. So, hey, Nicole. But she's not she as cool as Jess. Nicole, Nicole's in the chat. She said everything got wet. Or is that a, that's what he said? I'm taking that. No, that, that's what she it. said. My, she no. said my bits are always heavenly wet bits in the YouTube And chat. You're, I, I, it should be the diving bits. Nothing wrong with diving, so, Nicole. We love you. <laughs> so my first time riding in the rain. <laughs> no, um, I, just to move the topic along. Um, it actually, for real, my first time riding in the rain was this past July. So July of 2022, I was, I wasn't, a, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I was afraid of it, but I was avoiding it. Like I wouldn't go start a ride in the rain for sure. But my first ride in the rain was on the way back from out of the quarry where, fun fact, that's where I met Aaron, nothing at random. I met him there. We probably could have technically met at the March campout, but remember that happening? I was there. He was there. Um, but for mm -hmm. sure, we met yeah. there. It's definitely camp out the quarry that we met in March. I don't recall running into you at all. And and so those of you that aren't initiated on the camp out of the quarry situation, it was a great time. But that Saturday, it freaking, uh, with, with a little bit of exaggeration, it like tornadoed. I mean, it was like that Saturday morning was a shitstorm of rain. And we were all just intense. So on Sunday when we were going back, I just felt like, fuck it, I survived that. I, I can ride three or what was it, three or three and a half hours back in the rain on a concourse. And I did it full concourse daddy style. So for those of you that don't know, my concourse is all black and I bought rain gear. Guess what color? Highlighter yellow. So I was in full fucking dad concourse daddy in the rain, just cruising like 80 miles an hour. And I think that was the most relieving feeling was like the road does not fall out underneath you. So if you're a new rider and you're like terrified of the rain, just go experiment with it. Cause I don't think it's quite as daunting as maybe people, people who aren't familiar with motorcycles think it is dangerous. And I think that's, that's a common thing is like people that have never ridden a motorcycle. is like, Oh my God, it's so dangerous. Why would you do that? Try it. You'll see. Go yeah, get wet. And, and and everything is content. <laughs> if you don't believe me, look back. I, I I I got a video a short on my channel when I rode through rain that was about twelve inches deep, and cars around me were floating and starting to stop and and bogging down. I was tearing between them. It was awesome. And that's and I say and I say that BMW is a canoe. It absolutely is. It carves the water. It was absolutely awesome. I mean, I got a motorcycle in the garage right now in pieces. Don't ride through too much water. It's not a submarine. Yeah, that, <laughs> there are limitations for sure. Yeah. Post hurricane, I got a little stupid and went through way more than I should have. And it's in pieces, lots of pieces, lots of water. That's that, that fat so boy, cool. right? So no, cool. the fat nothing, boy is nothing. back together. It's a, one of my sporty, or I have a, a sporty right oh. now. Oh, you have yeah. more than two Harley Davidsons. Oh. I didn't know. I didn't know you were on that I'm level. Couple, sorry. I got a night train in there too. 
Does that count? We got Madam Ooh. Madam Warbuck or Walt Warbucks. What is it? But <laughs> I'm a little jealous. Listen, I got a problem. It's a collection. Oh no, I I have a bunch of motorcycles too. I'm just I buy so, yeah. Kawasaki's and, and stuff. I mean, none of no them are new. Hey. <laughs> They're old. <laughs> They're all old. <laughs> My newest is the Road Glide, and it's a 2011. So. So That's the, the first time I've ever seen. One. Yes, you're the only loser that has one. Well, that's the first time I've ever seen Bleak ready to swing. Well, don't talk about them, them Kawasaki's uh, like that. I said, I said no disrespect to Kawasaki. I just buy shitty Kawasaki's. There's a difference. How come people always say no disrespect right before they say some disrespectful shit? <laughs> I said it afterwards. There was a difference. Have a good one, David. It wasn't before. It was after. <laughs> Everybody say bye to David. Well, Dave. Bye, Dave. Later, G. Have a good one, Dave. Yeah, I would have to say, Journey Jerry said that, talking about riding after Eureka Springs, Eureka Springs was probably the most uncomfortable weather I have ever rode in. Because not My, only was it rainy, it was right at the freezing point. It was like 35, 36 degrees. It was stupid. We rode yeah. there, it was like 60 degrees. We spent two days there, it rained the whole time. And the morning we left, all of a sudden, it was like 36 degrees. And then we went home. The end. So that Eureka Springs ride, my way on my way there, was the first time I had ever dealt with high wind on a bike. I had sixty mile an hour winds coming out of Iowa, and then that was also the first time I ever experienced rain. Uh, I, I was going down the highway. I mean, I was still a couple hundred miles out. Um, the sky started getting real dark. I had frog togs. I, I mean, I had gear on. Uh, I didn't have the frog togs on yet. And I start getting splats on my visor. And that was, I knew eventually it would happen. You know, you ride enough bike, eventually you're going to, yeah, find the weather. It's going to find you. And I wondered how it would be kind of like, uh, I think Aaron was saying, was the ground going to fall out from underneath me? And it didn't. And then I was worried, like, are these white lines as I cross over, I'm going to be slick. No, nah, they weren't, you know, everything was, everything was fine. So once I stopped and put the frog togs on, because clearly I was about to get poured on, and I did, uh, it was it was just riding with wet stuff around me. Now, coming out of Eureka Springs, that rain was torrential, and it beat the crap out of me for about an hour and a half till I was soaked. But I had a base layer. I was dry, and I was cold, but I was dry. So... Again, after riding through that, now I look at rain like, yeah, whatever. And, <laughs> if I, if we I may, out of the mountain, the the whole uh, the whole like the 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 lines being slick on the road. I I'm pretty sure the reason they mentioned that is be, not because it's slick on the bike, but because it's slick on your boots. Because I have very very nearly dumped my bike and busted my ass, just like putting my foot where it shouldn't be. So. For what it's worth, yeah, the the lines on the road are real slick when when you're trying to maintain some footing. Oh, when it's raining, also... I don't stop at stop signs. If it's raining, I won't stop at stop signs. Period. Run right through them. Going. Wait, you you do stop at to. stop signs sometimes? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> hey, I'm an old man. My favorite part of riding is crime. You know what I've learned in the last twenty <laughs> years? I'm allergic to tickets. So, Eventually, they take their toll. But that's also so why going, I only pay $500 a year for insurance. Yeah. Going back with what Rowdy said about um, 
the lines being slick somewhat, not so much for the tires, but for your boots. I'll agree to that to a point. I think it also matters on the boots or whatever footwear you have on. Because I've ridden in the rain with a really cheap pair of boots I had that were meant for riding, but they fell apart way too soon. Um, and if I put my foot down on a, even a freshly painted line on a rainy day, I had plenty of traction. The boots I'm wearing now, I've been on a road that was beat to hell and back. And, you know, there should be plenty of traction, but if it's wet, those boots just glide right across the top of it. I've been on Skechers for the last year. They've actually got a hole worn in where my shifter is. I don't don't do anything that I do or say or anything ever. I, I will. Say That's a perfect I rode, transition. Yeah, I rode once in a pair of Converse I have, and I felt naked. Like I had all my other gear that I ride with. It's just the one time I didn't ride in boots, I felt naked. It was uncomfortable. I ride in Converse every day, like every day oh. to work. Let me suggest this is, a this very is good building up. Perfect segue. Here we go. Here we go. Mike, you got this. Go. He's getting really excited. <laughs> so he can't contain yeah. himself. You can't. I, I can. I just don't want to. So, yeah, I am absolutely. So I have over the years, and again, we've all mentioned this in jest, but it's true. I've ridden for years. I've ridden for almost forty years, and motorcycle boots to me were the ones that tied. They were leather. You know, they were black soles and, you know, bottoms. I'd never had a real motorcycle boot. I, you know, and I will not count the ones they sell at Harley, the double H and, and, and the double D's and the triple H. I do not count those as motorcycle boots once I put on the Indy Ridges because those really were made to ride motorcycles in. They're not cool looking boots with studs and, and leather and straps. They're actually meant to ride motorcycles in. So huge difference. If you've never actually, and, and I won't just say it's just the Indy Ridges, any more designed to ride in. I know Revit's got some really good ones, um, but it's it's night and day. It's totally different. Yep. That, I actually own a pair of the Revit. Um, it's not Revit brand, but it's one of those brands that Revzilla makes. I don't remember exactly. They kind of look like Air Force Ones, but... For those of you that are maybe new riders, because you know maybe you arrived at this podcast because we're talking about new rider stuff. If you are looking for a motorcycle shoe or boot, the real real difference is that sole, the bottom sole is reinforced. So it's gonna feel really stiff. And a lot of the times they also have more ankle protection. And sometimes it's just really stiff along uh, with Achilles tendon kind of deal. And that is obviously because it protects you in, a, in the event of a crash more so than Converse, Tiffany. But also, ride your own ride. Converse or Everybody, docs. Converse or docs. <laughs> if so I'm going to be I, running around... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go if ahead. I'm going to be running around town, yeah. I've got a pair of low, like, you know, the low pro riding boots. Um, I, I sometimes just rock my Vans. If I'm going to be doing highway riding, if I know I'm getting ready to take a trip, I have a pair of Icon Stormhawks. They're waterproof. They're Kevlar reinforced. They've got all the bells and whistles you want from a boot. Um, and they're pretty comfy. I haven't tried the Indian Ridges. I want to. But, uh, you know, it's it sort of what am I doing that day is, is how I, I dress for it. You know, uh, if I'm going to be hitting the highway where something might fly up and hit me, I want the extra protection. If I'm just zipping down to my buddy's house, it's probably not the right kind of thinking, but 
hop on the bike and I go because part of the enjoyment is the freedom of riding the bike, you know, just hopping on it and going. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's unbinding and having a couple different pairs. I'm not as fond of the low pro boot. Uh, I find it actually pretty uncomfortable. It's stiff. It offers protection, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. If I go down to the bar and I'm standing on my feet for an hour, I'm now like hurting. And that actually the bigger boots seem to be much more comfortable. And really that's kind of what dictates it, how much comfort is involved. And that's, and that's what I like about the Indy Ridges is they fit like tennis shoes. And I've actually, those are my daily wears. I wear those everywhere. I wear them to the store. I wear them when I go to work. I wear them when I ride. I wear them when we go to the mall and walk around all day because they're actually that comfortable, but they're also very protective. And that's a very hard uh, combination to come by. Stuff that fits, but is also safe safe and protective. So, and just and just like they say, you know, 99% of the accidents, you know, happen close to home. Um, I'm going to put them on when I ride. I have seen a guy when I was riding, I think it was, was in Chicago, dude went to put his feet down and his soles disappeared. And then he's left trying to stop an 800-pound bike with socks on. That was brutal. And that's what, I mean, tennis shoes are not made to stop and, and provide that much traction on asphalt. And I would I literally would have never saw it happen when his, his soles flipped back and it was like, what the hell just happened? And then I saw him doing, you know, the Roadrunner shuffle with his feet. And, uh, yeah. It was ugly. It was very ugly. It's it's yeah, scary and, shit, man. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I got this. I got this uncle, right? He he makes it a point to fall out of a tree stand every year when he uh, when he was hunting, <laughs> and uh, and and the last time he fell out, uh, he landed in a rocky ravine, and it didn't work out too well for him. And he described the state of his foot um, when he was not doing well, and that is kind of the inspiration that I use to uh, to maintain. Uh, you know, just riding boots. Like if I'm on a long ride, I got my good boots on. Uh, most of the time I wear sketchers, they got a hole in them from the shifter. But you know, if, if I probably should wear them every time I ride, but life doesn't necessarily work that way every time, especially when you ride as you like when your bikes are daily, but I don't know. You do what you I mean, Check ride it out, your guys. ride, ride your comfort. Real quick, guys. Uh, yeah, man. So uh, in my first year of riding, I hit a deer. And so I had so much of a good time that the first time it happened, I decided to hit another in June. And uh, they say like racing boots. I'm pretty sure I'd have broken my ankle at least because uh, when that occurred, like the rear set got pushed like nearly into the swing arm. So like a helmet is a necessity, but I think like boots protection is very important on the street. So that's one thing I'll always like, like street shoes on the, like out on the streets and stuff. You know what I mean? Cause uh, yeah, that's not a good look, man. I work with a guy that uh, hit a deer once and he was lucky he didn't lose his foot. So something to consider. Yeah, it's, it's, something with some, it's uh, one of those self-correcting errors. Yeah. You think everything's yeah, fine. Tiffany. You don't need it until it happens. <laughs> and then definitely. And it, I don't dress any different saying? on the bike as I do on a regular day. So you know what? Part that's, of the that's, that's super fair. 
That's super fair. And yeah, I actually I wanted to add those. to that. Since we're we're not yeah. at Gat Warriors here. I don't think. Definitely not. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I mean, I realistically, we're all I'm trying advice. to be better. At least I ride with a helmet. You know, I used to not even ride with a helmet. So, but I get a kid, so I think of it a little differently. But I also grew up around, like, I don't know, the old school bikers. My dad still doesn't wear a helmet. I don't think I've ever seen my dad in a helmet. Um, he owns one, but it's never on him. So I don't know. I grew up in a different realm on the way of gear. So, yeah, I, I mean, I dress exactly like I do on the motorcycles. I do in my go to grocery shopping or the PTA meetings. So different thought processes. Oh, yeah, everybody's yeah. gonna do their own thing. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You gotta be, I you remember. Gotta be comfortable. And I think Florida does change that. Anybody from Florida, I think it's it's a different scene. Because yes. it's I mean, I don't I don't hot. ride in shorts or flip flops. So if that is any any positives, no shorts and no flip flops, okay. <laughs> I at least, you know, I never rode in punched a piece of gravel going about eighty five miles an hour and it couldn't have been big and it broke my finger. I still can't close this hand right. Um, you can actually still see it. It doesn't, it doesn't act right. And after that, uh, wear gloves, you know, it, it would, it would have changed anything marginally probably, but now I'm, I'm ready to take that chance. I still feel hit shit hit my hands all the time. And I don't, it doesn't even bother me anymore, but probably the worst thing I've ever hit on a motorcycle going home. I lived in Arkansas again, near the rivers and something hit me in the leg and I reached down. And I looked up and I could, there was just enough light where I could see it was blood. I was like, holy shit, somebody just shot me. I got shot. What the fuck just happened to me? And I pull over under a street light and then I look, take a little better look and it's a leg about this long. It was a frog leg. A river frog had jumped up and I don't know if you, any of you guys live in southern rivers, but a, a, a river frog can weigh up to like five pounds. That thing was jumping around on the road and I hit it. And that one probably only weighed maybe about 80, 80, 85 miles an hour. And they put a bruise on my leg the size of a basketball. I literally thought I got shot. So oh, that's a little thing. Anyway, and then it's so good. <laughs> Go ahead. Physics into the equation a lot. Like you got to think about the mass, the density, the impulse, the impact. I don't know. That's when I first started riding and I'm talking in my first six months I remember riding down to the to the bike dealer and going to the parts guys who handle all the ordering and stuff and I was like do I need riding pants and the guy looked at me like I don't know what you need <laughs> but I'm here to help you know you what do out. you want to buy yeah let me let me help yeah. you with whatever you want yeah, sir hit a frog my point is you don't know what is going to hit you out there so you know my, my first big wreck and i think I've, I've told probably half of you this before my first bad wreck um i well i lived in arkansas arkansas did not have a helmet law arkansas literally they had just got a temporary trying it out uh endorsement for motorcycles so at that time anybody was out on motorcycles and didn't have licenses but it was raining that day so i wore my leather jacket because it was waterproof my high, it was very, very wet, and I wore a helmet. That was the only time I'd ever wore a helmet. And a guy pulled out in front of me, and I hit him only going probably 35 miles an hour. The helmet was a Fulmer. I sent it to Fulmer. I broke two ribs, just located my shoulder, and it looked like somebody had smeared grape jelly all down my left side. I'm not, I've told a couple of you this story before. 
but it took me five minutes to wake up. And when I did, people were standing around me, looking down on me. It had my shield down and everybody was just staring at me. Nobody was touching me. And somebody goes, check his pulse. Dead, you check his pulse. No, he's probably dead. I'm not going to touch him. Well, then the cops came and I was actually thinking, well, maybe I am dead. I wish somebody would check my pulse. Shit. So, but after that wreck, the helmet took, they said a thousand pounds of force. I sent it to Fulmer, they cut it apart and they said, yeah, you're lucky to be alive. You would have died on impact. But um, the, the helmet I had on, I uh, had diamond plate and asphalt embedded in it. I mean, it literally looked like somebody had just took it, took it and banged it against the side of the went and ran it down the asphalt for about 30 feet. I was probably, yeah, 30, 40 feet from the truck. I went over the top of it. It was a construction truck. And the jacket I had on was torn. It had, it was very nice, F, uh, one of the very first, first manufacturing jackets. And it, it cut on both shoulders from where I was sliding on the asphalt. And my boots were ground down all the way through to the shank on the heels. Um, so literally all, all the way through. And I'm thinking if I had the helmet, wouldn't have the jacket, it would have tore my shoulders off, probably tore my foot off and crushed my skull. And you're saying this was, was a 30 30- first bad motorcycle I ever had. And luckily it was 35 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour. All right. So I Here's rode, some, I rode BMX as a kid. For you. Go ahead. Some reference for you is all these things you see on TV where they're crashing cars. Those have an hour when they crash them into the brick walls and they totally destroy the car. Those are done at 25 to 30 miles an hour. I got real lucky. I was a kid and I used to ride BMX. Um, we did BMX tracks, big dirt tracks, mostly, uh, just on bicycles. Right. And, um, when I was younger, I was like 16. I cased a double. So for those that don't, you know, speak BMX, um, basically it means the, the, the two little Hills, you're supposed to go over both of them. I didn't go over both of them. I hit the one in the middle. And when I hit the one in the middle, I went over my handlebars. Um, when that happened, I broke my helmet. I tore my chest protector off and I shattered my collarbone. Uh, I was on a track that was made of dirt. So I didn't need any of the other protective gear that Rainey's talking about. Um, I didn't need the boots. I didn't need all that stuff. I, I needed a chest protector and a helmet. And those are the things that probably saved my life on a bike on a bicycle, you know, when you're moving enough to do air, you're probably doing about 30 miles an hour. So for all riders that are just paying attention, like 35 miles an hour is enough to get really hurt, really bad. On the, I want to say uh, 21. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, on, on the subject of footwear, one of the pairs of the boots I have are flat sold. They're supposed to be, I don't know, made specifically for dealing with streets and the grease and oil that you might encounter on the road. And then my, my highway boots have normal tread on them. Like you'd expect to see on a shoe. Now, some of you long-term riders, you know, I'd wonder what your thoughts on that are. Have you, have you tried both the flat bottom or the, the treaded? Have you noticed any difference in how they sort of grip the road and, uh, Goon, do you got your boots anywhere close? Those are probably the best sole I've Give ever had. Give me two seconds. Had. 
Um, the, it has it has it has a flat bottom, but it has wedges that are opposed to each other. So it's not a tread; it's actually like little small wedges. And on one side they face one way, and on the other side they face the. And it's for traction in both directions to push the bike and to try to stop it. And that is probably the best sole I've ever. Very nice. I don't know if you guys can tell or not. Yeah, no, I can see the the two opposing tread designs. I love that yeah. because it gets into the physics of riding a bike. Like you have to you have to fake left, you have to fake right. You've got to you've got to find a way to be wherever it is you're supposed to be. That's not going to get you killed when the bike is moving at you know 30, 40 miles an hour, and you're moving not at 30 40 miles an hour like yeah. that's it's just it's important like anatomically because your bones can only only handle so much stress yeah uh, and that was what i was going to add do you want to take good. a second and bring it out real quick that we are not sponsored by indy ridge <laughs> or any other company that is just what that each each person's view is reflective of their own at that, that needs to be said <laughs> yeah we're, we're testers for indy ridge but what i like about indy ridge is they'll give us the boots and they're a lot not like hey uh, take these boots and and i won't mention it yeah well ruroc ruroc who said we want a good review have it done on this day indy ridge says give me a review uh, if there's something wrong with it we need to know and we're going to fix it and at this point i probably gave steve six things seven things on the boots gloves that have been fixed and i'm like quick the turnaround from the time i tell him something's wrong to the time it's fixed is about two months so the boost they're making now in two months will be totally different and i think right now they're on the seventh generation he calls them like you know generation 4.5 point 0.2 point 0.3 whatever but they keep changing the boots and i think that's why these boots i i, I believe in these boots so much and the gloves is if i say this is something that's bothering me. It gets changed, you know, it's, and it's not like, well, I don't like the way this is and I want it different. It's, this is not safe. This is something that's happening. This bottom is too slick because the first ones I got were the Cheyennes and the bottoms were different from rubber. And they've also did that uh, reverse treading on both sides. So it's a much better boot. And, you know, People that aren't into those kind of boots, I get it. People don't like the low boots, but the the rain the rain shield that's around the tongue, that's something I love about that boot. I love that it has the ankle protection in just the right place. And I love the leather it's made out of, and I love those the the bottom of those boots. They just work. Yeah, and the reason I'm staying mostly out of this conversation is Rainy's pretty much hitting all the points that I was going to make, and it's the same manufacturer. So, I I want to add another point, and it's really not towards motor riders it's not towards uh our typical audience but auto manufacturers could learn a lot from this um you know it, it takes a it takes a recall and a recall is not a simple thing but uh it, it takes a class action lawsuit a lot of times to get an auto manufacturer to look at to look at a defect and um i, I just think that that if they were to pay attention to podcasts like this you know if if honda if, if, you know, BMW was to pay attention to a podcast like this, the, the auto manufacturing division, not the, uh, not the motorcycle rider division, like they would, they would garner a lot more 
about what it means to use their product. And, I think uh, it's, it's Jeeps, Jeep in the 90s had a problem with the placement of the brake pedal and the gas pedal. Um, transmission hub was so big, all of their pedals were pushed over to the left. So a uh, guy would go to hit the brake, hit the gas, because it was a different place. And Jeep, for the longest time, said, that's just how we work. That, this is a Jeep. This is a Jeep thing. You don't like it? Jeep ain't for you. Then a um, valet got into the car, ran it through a crowd of people at a high-class function. I'm talking a function where the place were peace. All of a sudden, Jeep changed their pedals. For that, it was like, hey, this is your Jeep. This is how we work. And it took literally taking out a few millionaires, killing them for Jeep to change their pedals. Well, that's why, you know, the good brands, when they're found, it's, it's good to give them the acknowledgement because somebody who's actually putting in the time to make a better product should get that acknowledgement. You know, a lot of us wear the Odin gloves and they're a good looking glove, but more than that, they're comfortable. They're functional and comfortable. And uh, I think a lot of it, we all want that sense of protection, but we also want to be comfortable too. And the company that puts in the time to know the people who are buying their product, I think has a much better uh, sort of financial plan or maybe a chance of lasting than someone who just spits stuff out. Because I've got a stack of gloves I bought now. And some of them are comfortable. Some of them are awful. Some of them have specific purposes. I bought one pair of gloves that have so much protection in them. Apparently, if I drop the bike at 80 on the highway, I'll slide. You know, uh, they got plastic chunks on them. They're not super comfortable to wear, but if I'm going to be out going fast, they're a great glove. And that company knew where to put the seams on them so that they're not digging into me. Whereas I bought a cheaper pair. I think I bought a pair. Of, I don't want to name drop a bunch of companies or, or hate on them, but something that rhymes with Ortec. Um, they were incredibly uncomfortable. The where, where they put the seam makes me not even want to wear the gloves. Like I was halfway through a ride and wanting to take them off. Like at these gloves, I'm yeah, giving I these get, to somebody. I, I used to, and I will drop the name. Um, Icon used to be a great brand. They made great stuff. And when they went global, they started making lots and lots of equipment and lots of jackets, lots of very cheap on what they were making. And it went to garbage. And I have a one. I used to buy Icon helmets because I loved Icon helmets. They fit so great. The fasteners worked. Everything was great on them. And then I got one one day and I couldn't get it on my head. And I was like, I must have got the wrong size. I ordered another size. It also didn't fit. And then I also noticed the buckles, instead of being metal on them, were plastic. And I've never bought another Icon since. It, it blew me away that the first time I met you, you were on a one storm and you're still riding a one storm. And like, that was my first helmet because it was available on amazon i was like whatever i need a helmet for the class so i took it um but i've got you know two or three helmets in my amazon cart right now that are all one storm and like yeah i don't know i love that i love that helmet um it, it works it, it has everything you're supposed to have so it has all the cushion has the right holes for the ears it has the vents it has um the, the flip down visor it has the metal it, it just works for me and um, I don't know. I've seen I've seen big. The only other helmet I would ever actually tout is a Bell, and they're just so expensive. And they don't. They're modulars. I don't like. But they're full face helmets. They're full one pieces. I love them. But 
living in Mississippi, going down to Florida, I need a modular. I could not live <laughs> without a modular. Right. So let's pull it back in. I know Juice had something that he wanted to bring up. Oh, oh sure, sure, sure. I mean, this is, uh, we're going back a little bit, but when we were talking about, you know, kind of the speed of things and the danger, I, I don't know, again, trying to gear it towards new riders to put it in perspective, but uh, think of like going 25 miles an hour in a car. You'd feel like pretty freaking slow and also pretty in a car. But um, whether you're on a bicycle, motorcycle, four-wheeler, dirt bike, um, 25 miles an hour is uh, that is considered a um, high-speed crash for your body. So even though we're so used to, if, you, if you're in a car, a bus, you take public transportation, whatever, you're so used to that cage and like that protection of it. I think one of the, the, the take-homes if you're a new rider and you haven't done riding yet, it's like that is the inherent risk of riding is that it just does not take high speed to get hurt or to get worse than hurt. Um, also, I did, as we were kind of talking through things, talking through comments of, uh, you were talking about the Jeep pedals. Um, I actually, my grandpa, who's he's passed at this point, but um, he, he was driving like a Mazda. It was an Ultima, like a Heltima. Scary. Anytime you see an Ultima, beware. But um, he was at a intersection, and he tried to hit the brake pedal, and he hit the gas at the same time and went in, into the intersection and crashed into a bunch of people. Just, you know, two different topics, two different stories, but also just trying to catch up with the conversation there. So that's oh, a real thing. Very relevant. It's also um, – that is a very common thing for old people to do. That's why if you ever hear about the stories where like elderly lady crashes through a Walgreens or um, any this, that, or the other store, it's usually for that very reason. They're trying to hit the brake and they smash the gas pedal. My company did a, a, a a data science study with, uh, with Hampton roads, Virginia, where we were uh, studying the effects of giving basically, you know, you know, older people, uh, 200 mile an hour vehicles, um, which the vast majority of vehicles you buy now are going to be more than 200 miles an hour. Um, and it was for the reasons that you're exactly talking about right now. You, when in an auto accident, you have primary, secondary, and tertiary impacts. That primary impact isn't you hitting like your steering wheel. It's your, your internal organs hitting the, you know, your rib cage. Um, and so, when you think about whether or not you're going to be hurt in an accident, it's important to think about those primary, secondary, and tertiary impacts because, I mean, that's what an underwriter looks at when he's looking at an auto accident. And so that is a financial impact to you, to the, the medical industry, to, to everybody, whatever. It doesn't matter the financial impact. What it matters is how that financial impact you know, affects you as a person, you know, that primary impact could kill you. And so it's just, and it could kill you at 25 miles an hour or less. And and so, yeah, it's just worth mentioning. Guys, I have to step out. I'm going to go ahead and leave you guys for the night. So it has been great. Um, Indigo, thanks for coming. All you other guys, thanks for seeing you again. 
Um, Inigo Moto, you're welcome anytime. Come in, bring some good stuff. Yep. Yeah, Rainy, we'll see you next week. All right, Rainy. Be good, yep, dude. We'll see you, Rainy. Later, brother. Bye. <laughs> so, Bleak had a good question that he brought up in the chat is what is one piece of advice that each of you could give a new writer? Now, we'll start with Rowdy. What you're doing is dangerous. Don't forget that. Okay. Aaron? Uh, so this is actually something I've been trying to drive home to a friend of mine that doesn't write yet, but is thinking about getting their license maybe, maybe next year, um, is don't limit yourself to what you can ride. Uh, to give just a quick detail on that, he is obsessed with the look of a cafe racer bike and basically only wants to get a bike that looks like a cafe bike. You know, I told him, if you're going to learn how to ride, you should get a slightly beat up used first bike just to really get comfortable on. Don't get something nice in case you drop it, in case you wreck, you know, in case somebody knocks it over. Just get something to learn to ride on first and then get a nicer bike after you get some experience. And I've gone back and forth with him and he is still obsessed with the fact of like, well, I want to get a bike that looks, you know, like it's already had a lot of work done to it already. As you know, if it's like an old CB has been cafe'd or maybe getting one of the new like Moto Guzzi V7s because he really likes the look of them. I'm like, if that's what you want to do, sure. Just as a new writer, don't limit yourself. Try everything. So something else you may want to warn him about the cafe bikes, and I, I think you might have hit on it, is they can be extremely uncomfortable. After especially about 30, on longer 40 minutes, rides. Yes. I've I've warned him of that too, but I've had two cafe bikes. You gotta get it out of your system. You you gotta figure out through pain and suffering that there has to be another way. Oh, I love this. I love the writing. I love the feeling. God, this is uncomfortable. So with I mean with that being said, I still myself I love the look of a brat cafe bike. I would love to build one, but I understand it wouldn't be anything more than a show bike or a bar hopper. It would not be Ideally, my brain would tell me not to get on it and ride to Florida. It's in the name. It's. I tried to ride mine to Florida. I made it to Atlanta, and then I was done. My body was so broken, I was done. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do a small self-plug. Self-plug real quick. I have – I'm in the process of building a Brat-style bike. So I have a, a, a 1979 KZ400. It's kickstart. And electric start is why not. So I also agree kind of with the whole logic of don't expect a cafe racer bike, that kind of style to be comfortable. It is definitely, I could see it as a second bike. I would not recommend as a first bike. Um, I also, while I'm at it, while I got the spotlight, give me, give me more spotlight. While I got the spotlight, um, I also want to shout out um, Seven. She, she put in the chat, um, her her tip to new riders is to be willing to go out of your comfort zone, but be safe about it. And I, I definitely agree with that as well. Yep. Indigo? Who would like to go next? Actually, I guess it's funny that you said comfort zone, but actually that's 
where I think people should find though. Because I, I, as a woman writer, I get told all the time what I can and cannot do um, or what opinion people think I should have for a bike or whatever, especially that's the most common thing. Oh, you should get a this, that, and the other. And I really, truly believe there's no such thing as a starter bike. I was never told I had a Honda Civic when I started driving a car that I could start with a truck. So I think motorcycles are the same thing. Whatever's comfortable for that rider and that body, that person that's getting on it is actually the bigger takeaway there. Um, I do agree that Cafe Racer is probably not the go-to, but bodies, every single body that's sitting here is a different body. And I really think that we need to remember that, that every time we give it advice about a bike, it's our perspective and not necessarily the person sitting on it. So what I tell people all the time is please go take the course and then go sit on every bike you can. Like as soon as you can get the license, ride every bike you can before you buy a bike because you don't know what you want until you get the opportunity to, to try it. Um, I ride a little bit of everything and I want a little bit of everything. But the reality is, is every single body is different. I, I mean, I'm five foot three, a woman, I, get, I can't fit some of these bikes. So when people start telling me I can or cannot fit something or I should go ride something, let me go sit on it. Let me see how it goes. So actually comfort for the personal rider is actually, at least in bike riding, like what you get, I think is so much important. Um, My uh, one tip to a new rider would be go at your speed. As you're learning to ride, my friend who got me into riding rides a, a 600R and goes at the speed of light. It did me no good to try to, yeah, I see you, Moto. Uh, it did me no good to try to keep up with him. It wasn't going to happen. If I did, something probably was going to happen. So starting out, seeing my buddy take off, that's fine. I went at my speed. And having a friend to ride with who goes at a different speed did, as Indigo is saying, help pull me out of my comfort zone. That was helpful and uh, challenged me to begin going faster. And then also to follow up, getting to ride other things, various bikes, gives you different disciplines. Um, and you got to get those different experiences to grow as a rider. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do a count point counterpoint on that is that I as a new rider, if I had been with somebody that really pushed my limits, I think that would have probably turned me off to, to street riding. However, I do understand that um, in the off road perspective, like literally not just dirt bikes, like anything, not like a track riding, anything like that, having somebody that setting, I think, makes a lot more sense because there's less risk. I think not treating the road like a racetrack is super important, especially for new riders. Um, kind of goes back to the, like, don't push your limits, stay, in, stay. I wouldn't say stay in your comfort zone, but like, don't overextend your comfort zone just because you're with somebody that's going to uh, ride at like a normal, what I would call the average rider kind of pace. So Actually, I think my tip, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I, I'm actually really right now coaching somebody to ride. Um, as I said, my, my last three of four videos happened to be about, she rode 100 miles in a year in downtown Orlando, which is just stop and go, stop signs, that's it. And she had never really gotten out of that comfort zone in a year. 
And then I found out at our Thanksgiving, our like biker girls Thanksgiving, that she hadn't done anything past that. So I told her to, the following morning, which, you know, that's a little bit a month ago, I was going to pick her up and I didn't tell her where we were going or how far we were going. I kind of had a good idea, but I put a, an extra hundred miles on her bike that following day. So she doubled her mileage in a day because she just had somebody that was able to push her. But the way that I ride, I'm by the book, street signs, you know, rolling through with a new rider at least. And I do think pushing comfort zones doesn't include speed limits being not paid attention to. And I think that that's the other thing in the motorcycle community. There's so much pushing boundaries, but are not in a safe manner, especially when it comes to new riders and this lacks respect of the bike that you're actually riding. And with new riders, if you're going to have somebody that's helping you or coaching you or just somebody to ride with, if they're not respecting those laws and the other riders and or vehicles on the road, that might may not be the comfort zone or the type of push that most people need. And I think that that's where that gray area on where you push somebody, because now this was a month ago and she now has almost 500 miles on her bike because I keep pushing her, but I'm pushing her respectfully on what she's doing. Cause I know she has all the basic skill set, but you have to, to step properly. And we've actually joked about it being like a bingo card or like a milestone checkboard um, because there's a lot of steps, but you have to do it respectfully. We can't just jump to, you know, 10 miles over the speed limit or 20, or we're now taking twisties at speeds that are no longer safe for a newer rider anyway. It's about respecting what you're doing in the process. Right. Sorry, I'm sure. really no, opinionated on this good. topic. <laughs> that is, that's great. Um, that's why we brought you on. Come in and, yeah, <laughs> it's more of a like a crawl, a walk, and then a run phase. Yeah, you give them, you, you slowly get them into what will be their norm. It may not be necessarily yeah. your norm, um, mm -hmm. and it's finding those people that kind of jive with your riding style. Yeah, it's not about ego anymore. It's about actual learning. Exactly. Um, and yep. Can I can I finish bike. my when you get? Oh yeah, my oh, bad, sorry, man. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, I did. Like, I think we're kind of culminating to uh, what my tip is for new riders is that the only way you're going to get better is you spend time ass in seat. So if you're a new rider and you're used to maybe you just did NMSF and you know how to go around a parking lot, and we're we're, if we're talking about like crawl walk, run, the only, I, I think the best way is, you know what, if you don't feel comfortable going out on a highway, don't. Find a, a neighborhood that's pretty quiet, but ass in seat, you need to ride. That's the only way you're gonna get more comfortable with it. And um, if you think about the real world, because you drive, most people drive, and if you don't, I'm sorry, I don't have a good experience with that, but, um, you have to realize that if you're not up to the pace of traffic, you put yourself at actually greater risk when you put yourself on more on busier roads. You can't go MSF course parking lot speed in the real world, which is kind of a fault of the MSF basic rider course, I believe, in my personal opinion. Um, it doesn't teach you how to ride in the real world. Um, so spending that time out either on a country road or something like that, yes, it's going to be um, kind of anxiety ridden, but also I think spending that time as a new rider by yourself or with somebody that you really trust um, is really confidence building. And that's how you're going to develop as a writer. 
that's my piece. Yeah, and the challenges that uh, that's where I found all my growth as a very new new green writer. Um, I remember Shade Tree Surgeon put out a challenge in one of his videos where he said, "All right, everybody watching, you know, this coming weekend, if you can, go out and go on a ride, go do a hundred miles." And I had never ridden a hundred miles, but I love a challenge. So I, I found a county highway and I went out and I did a hundred miles. And so it was really two because I had to come back. Uh, and that challenge, going back to what you've all been saying about the comfort zones and, and that experience, it, it helped me grow. It wasn't something I was planning on, but again, I like a challenge. And it's in those moments where you're challenging yourself that you see that it all comes together and you're able to learn something from the, the whole process. All right. What about you, Moto Diablo? What have you got for us? Just anything for a newer rider that you wish somebody had told you uh, before you actually got on the highway or the road in general? I got nothing, man. Like, uh, you're going to like, you're going to go on this journey, man. It's going to be the most fun you'll ever have in your, like in your life. That's all I, that's all I got out of it. Like, uh, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's the most fun I've ever had. There's nothing I'd rather do besides like ride. And if you're interested in getting into it, go for it, man. If you're thinking about it, fucking go for it. You're going to have a great time, man. That's all I can say. It's funny. I do. I do believe that that's one of the things people are like, oh, I'm thinking about riding. Well, go take the course. If you don't like it, don't buy a bike. See, it's not that's, right. Yep. That's a control environment that you can actually get an experience. And then if you enjoy it, you can get a starter bike and then take the advanced course, which kind of fills the gap that Juice was talking about, because it some courses will take you out on a an actual road course and take you on a ride as a group ride to get you introduced into that as well. See, that's, that's kind of going along with what I told my friend who's looking to getting into riding. I told him to take the MSF course. It's 50 bucks. They will put you on a bike. You won't leave the parking lot. You'll be in an enclosed, controlled environment. And you'll get a small feeling of what it's like to be on a bike, to command it, to just get a little seat experience and see what it's like. And that'll give you an inkling. Is this something you really want to follow through with and try? Or is this something that you thought you might like but turn out you like the idea more than actually doing it? And I told him, you know, if you yeah. go through the course, you end up liking it, and you get your license, from, you know, I can meet him somewhere, we can put him on my bike, on, on my Rebel, which is very forgiving to learn on, and I told him, I can hop in his car, and we can just go on a road, and I'll follow him. That way, people don't get too close to him, he's got all the comfort room, you know, if he's able to wear my helmet, it has a Bluetooth device in it, I can have it link up with his phone, we can talk to each other while it's going on just to kind of coach him through it if he wants to. That's cool. Um, I, I would say if that is something you can do with somebody, uh, like I don't don't have anyone, when I started writing, I didn't have anyone that I could really ride with. It was all solo. But if I have friends who want to learn to ride, you know, it's, it's a bit of an investment to get like a, a headset put into a helmet, but I have one. It's fairly simple to install another helmet. You can Bluetooth it to a phone, and we can just be on a phone call. 
So even if I'm not riding a bike with them, we can still talk and communicate. I think that would be another huge step to help someone who's very nervous about being on the road is maybe if you can't ride with someone on a bike, but having someone, you know, follow you on a car, that way they can give you that, uh, that safety zone behind you might also be helpful for your more anxious riders. Well, stuff comes with time. You know, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, my buddy speeds quite a lot and I wasn't comfortable chasing him in the beginning. The more I rode, the more I began to realize, oh, I'm sitting at 60. Oh, I'm just sitting at 70. Oh, and I'll stop there, you know, but I, you started getting more comfortable and being able to use the bike. And I had been riding for a year before I loosened up enough to start carving in a lane or what I see the racy guys call like warming up their tires and, and doing this sort of sway pattern. And it wasn't until I learned that a full year of riding later that I actually got comfortable with corners and could take a corner with a little bit of speed and not feel like I was going to die um, and, or shoot off the road or any number of things was going to happen. And so, you know, a lot of it comes with time. You don't hop on a bike unless you're, you know, Rossi and just ride like the wind you you have to learn it and it has to be respected that process or you'll probably set yourself up for something dangerous yeah it's funny you mentioned uh, rossi oh go ahead go ahead oh i know chat's probably gonna roast me for this one and some of you might too but going from the 883 to the 114 lowrider i took it easy for the first six months to a year um before i took it home back into the mountains of virginia and and i'm sure some of you have seen my uh unknown road series where i went on the road that i actually learned to ride bikes on and had an absolute fucking blast carving that six mile section of road um and there's little to no traffic i wasn't exactly worried but i still made due pains to stay on my side as much as possible um for obvious reasons <laughs> all blind curves but it was all a matter of finding my comfort zone with that bike before making those attempts on a road that i knew very well but me and the lowrider were still getting the connection i guess you could say like getting getting the feel for each other yeah and I, um kind of going back to the, the valentino rossi comment um, you know, I don't know if it was Rossi specifically, but there's been numerous, uh, GP or, uh, racers that have said like, there's, they don't ride leader bikes on the street. Well, one, because they're probably contractually bound to not actually ride those bikes on the street, but also, um, just, they know that like the street is not the racetrack and there, you have to really distinguish that. And also those bikes are just way overpowered for the street. That's a whole, we could, we could do a whole separate dive on that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of just goes back to stay in your comfort zone. It's not, it's not a, a um, dick measuring contest, I guess. It's not all about having the biggest CCs. No. Ride your ride. Well, I've heard buddies of mine who I, I now know, you know, I, I've met people in the motorcycle world who started on 300s and having a bike that they could just wring its neck and not expect too much out of it. 
they say they, they learned more on that than when they moved up to a bigger CC bike that they had to treat a completely different way. Um, so there's a lot to be said for even having a smaller displacement bike, especially in a place like a city where you can't throw all that power around anyway. Aaron wouldn't know anything about that. You know, there, there is something to that. Like I've, uh, I've got a KLX 250 and one time like me and my buddy went out on a ride. He has, has a Z 900 actually. And, uh, we're hitting some twisties and shit, man. And it, like, you really gotta like keep your momentum and shit up, you know? You can't just power out of everything, but I was able to keep up with them just by like line choice and just and that sort of thing. But yeah, there is there is something to be said about a smaller uh, CC bike out on the street, you know. Well, that's where when I was in Colombia, I had never gave a a scooter a second glance. You know, I ride bikes. I, I look at bikes. I'm mystified by them. I'm in love with them. It's, it's now a passion, and I'd just never given a scooter a second glance. Well, scooters are cool, too. I've seen people carrying crazy stuff with two people on it, just whipping down the road on these scooters, and how, I don't know, carefree they looked and how much fun it looked. And the one that my business partner who was with me had rented, boy, it tore. It rip-snorted and, and tore up the road. He was gone, and I'm on this... It said it was a six speed. It was a single. Um, and it, I was wringing its neck and it was trying to go. But, uh, you know, there's a lot to even be said for a scooter. It's not just motorcycles out there. If you're thinking about riding, there's all kinds of stuff. And for Aaron, you said you have the buddy thinking about cafes. Mm -hmm. um, cafes don't do you any favors either. It's, it's meant to be racy. And when you're learning, yeah. when you're just starting out, I think some of the stuff I, I began to build bad habits about were just the position I had to have my arms in yeah. was a racy position. It was very forward. And when you're learning, it's almost like being on a, a mountain bike. They have the real wide bars. So you have much more agility, much more ability to turn. Uh, you don't have as much uh, leeway with some of the other bikes because they're not designed for that. They're designed for somebody who knows how to ride. And it's something yeah, to think I mean, about. Kind of going with what you said about like scooters. Um, one of my first corp jo corporate job after I got out of college, there was a gentleman that I worked with in the office. He was quite a bit taller than me and a very heavy individual. And he, if the day was 55 and up, and not rainy he was riding his scooter to the office from where he lived and i'd never really seen scooters i'd only ever seen bikes on the road so i knew they existed but i never really put much thought into them until one day i'm going home and i had like a four or five minute head start on him on the interstate i'm going 85 faster than you know um the limit but you know following the speed of traffic and i look over and see him just zoom right past me like nothing on the interstate and i'm just like I didn't know scooters could go faster than 65. I was so blown away by it. And I was talking to him one day. He's like, oh, yeah, I've had it up to 120. Fuck yeah. What? <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, what'd you do? You put NOS in it? He's like, nope, it's stock. Jesus Christ. Is it a Bergman? Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I want a Bergman. <laughs> I one of my girls BMW. rides one. So cool. <laughs> I think it was a BMW. But oh, also, no shit. Continuing with what Bleak said about... Um, 
you know, if you, if you get too used to one bike, then you feel really awkward on another one. Uh, when I picked up the Rebel, every place I went to at the time trying to look for a bike to test ride, I kept getting told no. Um, at least with new bikes. I was only allowed to test ride the used bikes they had, which I understand. Because if you take a new bike, you put miles on it, it's no longer new. And I had only really gotten to test ride a couple of things. I test rode a Sportster, a... Um, a Honda Monkey, Honda, it was an older Rebel, but I knew I wasn't going to buy it, but just kind of went to ride. I didn't even get a chest ride the new uh, Rebel 300-500. So when I bought the 500, I kind of bought it on whim just from like sitting on it for, I think I had like a 20-minute conversation. I just sat on it in the dealer and I was just kind of playing around with it. And I felt very comfortable on it, whereas with the other bikes sitting on them, I didn't feel that comfortable on on the test ride. They weren't that comfortable. So just sitting on the Rebel, I felt comfortable, which is why I put the trigger, excuse me, on it compared to other bikes. And when I bought it, I never had the intention to really leave the the town I live in. I plan on like maybe going on the outskirts on the country roads. I wasn't planning on getting on the interstate and going to like the west side of Columbus. I Going out of state was never a thought in my head. Um, and then I got the urge to do it. And then I did it. So last year, I just spent the year learning to ride. This year, I've spent the year more on getting into the community and traveling more with the bike. So I've also started test riding a lot of other bikes. And going from how small and nimble and uh, narrow seating that the Rebel is and how low of a seat height it has, and then jumping on it, like the ST was one of the first bikes I test rode this year, the Lowrider ST. That is a vastly different bike. The seating position is quite different because the Rebel, you're kind of forward in a more sporty position. The Lowrider ST, you're very upright and relaxed. Um, on top of that, it's four times the engine power. It, uh, it's what, the 117, it's like 1920 cc's or something like that. So four times the engine power. It's a little over 300 pounds heavier. But it honestly, of all the bikes I've test rode, it's felt the closest to the Rebel 500. It feels like it handles almost the same, despite being a little heavier. It has, it, it is longer, but it still feels like it handles the same. It still feels just as nimble, but it's much more powerful. It's, you know, has that nice front bearing on it. So I felt nothing hitting my head or chest, even when I was going an excessive speed limit. Um, and it terrified me. I was very uncomfortable on it because it, it just felt bigger. Even though it felt so similar, it just felt much bigger. But once I kind of adjusted to it near the end of the test ride, I was I really liked it. And test riding other bikes like uh, the Harley Fat Bob, I was not comfortable on it at all. Once I was moving, I it felt like I was completely you know folded over on myself. The bars felt like I was trying to hold a Longhorn cattle by its horns it just it was not a comfortable ride the thing handled like a boat and looking at it it's like oh i love this bike i love the way it looks but once i rode it, it completely turned me off to it so you know it's just like like bleak said if you get super used to one style of riding and then try another it messes with you yeah the transition from my sport naked bike 
to having a 660 pound concourse with a great big windshield and bags on it it felt like now i'm trying to move an abrams around or something like i'm this big lumbering bike but it's got a 1000 cc motor you know tuned to be racy so the bike wants to go it 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 was a huge sort of learning curve because now i'm relearning everything where does this bike stop points lie where does this bike's friction zone kick in what does this feel like and the big one is the windshield my little cafe bike with its little bikini fairing offers no wind protection like it looks like it would but it's really just like implied or a suggestion of wind wind protection there's nothing there uh the connie you don't feel anything i was riding it around in like 30 degree weather You'd think it would have been cold. Nah, it was, I was in my own little bubble, having a great time. So uh, you get completely different things. It's almost like wearing a pair of winter boots or a pair of sneakers out in the snow. You know, you're going to get different experiences from both. And both have their purposes. Uh, but it is good. It's good to get those multiple types of bikes under your belt. And I, I think it builds, again, that repertoire of, your skills you can throw at any situation when you're on whatever bike you're on. Yeah, uh, I I completely agree with all that. Um, the Lowrider S, as I'm sure you all are already tracking, comes with the skinny little bikini fairing that they call an air so air something. I think it's air dam. I'll have to go look on because I, t- I it's sitting out in the garage. Um, but that's why you see most people, and I know uh road warrior and seventh sentinel can agree especially that most people will transition to a memphis shades or a russ wormont fairing just to get a little bit of wind resistance or wind protection um i would love to do what blockhead has done and do an st fairing swap on mine i'm kind of in the process of working getting that worked out probably not going to be for a while <laughs> um but you're right getting to know that new bike um it takes a while and then i just recently put new mini floorboards on my lowrider s and it's completely changed how the bike feels uh, i honestly i hate it so i'm i'm going to be changing back to the stock pegs and finding something else that fits my riding style better but i don't know i thought the kiriakin uh mini floorboards were going to work they just they sit too awkwardly I, I can't even reach my my rear brake pedal right now so taking a few rides on it and trying to get used to it just come no <laughs> i hate not being able to reach my rear brake pedal and i don't know why harley didn't put an adjustable um like brake linkage in there that you could adjust the height of the pedal on the soft tails for the new like i think it's 20 somebody help me out 2018 plus whenever they started making the new like the re reborn lowriders um i don't know why they didn't like oh some people might have shorter feet or some shit but i don't know maybe this is me up on a pedestal bitching about things that shouldn't be bitched about but well, no, I, I've looked at changing different peg parts out and, and seeing what they're about. And then on the Connie, 
Uh, I've been looking at these highway bars that you can get um, or crash bars and put highway pegs on because again, I, I bought that one to do big miles with. Uh, after attempting multiple trips on a cafe bike and deciding it wasn't the best tool for the job, uh, you know, now I got this Connie and I've been getting used to it. I I'm, I'm dying for spring, you know, so I can get some more miles on it, just some more time in that seat. And uh, then immediately I want to be either going to this uh, next weirdo meetup or making my plans for the next FA because uh, I want to ride the FA. I, I can fly into Forgotten Angels and actually make it to one of the events. But that's not what I want to do. I want to ride to a Forgotten Angels and meet with people along the way and enjoy the journey. Um, and I, I don't know. I think having the, this other bike will make a big difference in that because from what I've already experienced, a lot of the stuff that led to my failure on my first attempt for a, a long distance ride um, is different now. I have more experience. I can handle a bike a lot better. Uh, I've got loads more seat time. You know, I've got 5,000 miles behind me now. And I, I know in Indigo's case, she's like, ah, that's nothing. But yeah, I, I'm just starting out. So I got to start somewhere and, and I'm learning really quick though. And it's been, it's been nice having the ability to make certain moves where I could try different things and I could figure out what I want to do and I could purchase an old bike and resurrect it and, and, uh, have the ability to do both ride around town at, uh, on a fun little zip zip bike and then maybe hit the highway. Cause I actually have learned over the last year and eight months I prefer highway. I like being on the highway. I know where I'm at on the highway. I know where all the vehicles around me are on the highway and what they're doing. It's the streets of the city that I worry about because people are in a hurry. They're zipping out of parking lots. They're pulling out where they're not supposed to. They're pulling U-turns where they're not supposed to. They're just doing stuff to get through their day, but it puts everyone at risk. And you have less of that on the highway. On the highway, it's just forward and go you know all right msf question <laughs> what are the two most dangerous uh places to ride on a on a motorcycle what where are you most likely to get in an accident an intersection come on yep and a curve probably boom two for two keeping it geared towards the newbies intersections and curves so yeah i i also agree with you on that i think initially i was really scared of the thought of highway but once you learn how to navigate it and once you learn the highways that aren't like like i i don't i wouldn't recommend tampa highway necessarily oh god or atlanta I recommend or tennessee chicago hey now but like find a <laughs> find a highway tennessee that's like truckers you know, I'll, I'll argue that because Tennessee, most truckers, especially in Tennessee, will give you the right of way. They will force cars out of the way to give you room. They were trying to force their trucks up my. <laughs> so I'll, I'll... Well, I think that's just a slow ass Kawasaki, but th that's just me. I'll <laughs> oh. I'm I'll... kidding. Malik. I love you. I'll continue off of what Juice just said, you know, with the intersections, intersections are I believe the number one um, 
like place that most uh, motorcycle incidents happen. But one thing I remember t being talked about in my MSF course was that an intersection isn't always two roads intersecting. It's any path of travel that a vehicle is on, including driveways. Uh, you know, I like I, I mentioned this earlier tonight. You know, watching Dan Dan, and what I took from it is when you're going down the road and you see the side of a vehicle, watch the tires. Because I live in town, not I'm not in a city, but I'm in a higher populated town than what I grew up in. And when I first started riding, I didn't go out of town hardly at all. I didn't go on country roads. I definitely didn't touch the interstate. So I was going past driveways, entrances and exits to parking lots all the time. I was never away from it. So I was always watching the side of the vehicle and looking to see if the tires started turning at any point. Um, because that that's just an intersection. Not in the traditional sense of like, you know, a four-way stop with lights or stop signs, but it's still an intersection. So I think that's another, you know, like Juice said, that, that's an important thing to keep a note of. And with what Bleak said, why he likes the interstate, you don't have intersections on the interstate typically. Yeah. All traffic is going one way. The only thing you have to worry about is somebody who just is being a jackass and is going 102 and wants you out of their way because they don't want to be patient or someone merging and not looking at all. You know, it, it does, the interstate does limit the other issues that can come into play. Whereas being on an urban or even a rural road, you're going to have animals, you're going to have intersections, you're going to have kids playing, you know, the, the list is long and the interstate cuts it in half, if not even less. Well, you're, yeah. you're hundred percent right. Um, but even riding for many years, like I have, my longest highway trip was from like the Tennessee Kentucky border to forgotten angels in October. Um, before then I honestly, I just, I still despise highway riding. I would rather be on a, a country road or back in the mountains. Um, well, there's a, a difference between like freeway and interstate, you know, uh, here we have, we have sort of, or I mean, highway and interstate, we, we have like county highways where I think the top speed limit on them, they're, they're double lanes, there's semis on them. And it's almost like the, the kiddie pool for getting interstate riding in or, you know, like uh, uh, training wheels for the interstate. Because then, as I was saying about the Tennessee, Tennessee was all curves, semis doing 80, trying to get their loads to where they're going. Um and it was a lot more mental focus, mental awareness, and than I was used to at those speeds. So the highway riding's really good. The interstate riding's really good, but they both have their places. And I, I would think on my next major long trip, I, I will try to plan a route that includes a bit more highway riding as well, so I can get a break from some of the. Uh, the white knuckle endurance stuff that I've, I've had to do out on the inner because when you're jockeying for your position and there's two semis around you, it can be a bit, you know, mentally taxing. You, you really yeah. have to be in that moment. You have to be aware of everything that's going on. And on some rides um, I've found having a little less to concentrate on can actually help me go a little further. You know, I'm not wore out as quick. 
um, and, and I hope to get to the point where I can rock an iron butt or rock a uh, whatever comes to me that day um, from sun up to sundown. Uh, but at current, I've got about hours before I'm just mentally wiped from writing, and then uh, then I need a little break. Yeah, fourteen hours was an adventure. I um, when I plan a lot of my long distance rides, it's funny because I actually plan a lot of that interstate between. And then some of these major cities like Atlanta is terrible. Salt Lake City is terrible. Um, I don't like going through some of those. So actually, that's when you take some of the back road highways to get around that, that you choose what highway is the most, you know, easiest case scenario. Because so, I promise you going through Atlanta, you're either going 85 yeah. miles an hour, or you're going zero. So yeah. sometimes yeah. it's easier yeah. to scoot around it and go, OK, well, I got another 40 minutes, but it's at least it's not going to make me want to like road rage or something. Yes, so but, sometimes it's good to have highway, highway, sometimes 75, 95, 40, it's all good, but it depends on where you're at too. Yeah. So we could label that as more of a, like I would say an intermediate rider tip is plan your routes. If you don't like city mm -hmm. driving, you could plan around them as you, like you said. Yeah. You, you mean you actually, I don't even know if that's intermediate. That's just, um, I think you should plan your routes if you don't know where you're going anyway. But I mean, there's a certain level of get lost and GPS your way back home. But really, like if you're a, a strategic rider, you can avoid some of that intersections that you don't need or certain. I mean, there's certain cities you can't pay me to go through. It's just not like I've been sure. riding for years and I'm just not dumb enough to ride through anymore. I, I would probably avoid Atlanta again if I had to Atlanta, choose again. Salt Lake City. Yeah. Mm -mm. yeah. So, Bleak, if you want to get a break from highway, um, you can join up with me and Aaron. I think Juice, you're planning on jumping in with us on the way to Forgotten Angels in March. We're taking all back roads from Clarksville all the way to the tail and then down. Tentatively, I'm going to be driving down, but that's only because I'm building that bike and I'm going to hopefully have it in, included in the giveaway. If not, then I will. I've always wanted to ride down. It's always, it ends up being a work thing. I usually have to be back at work on Monday. If I can get the time off, I want to do like a full like week off, just miles down, miles back. But I think my plan for this March was, which I'm happy to be a support vehicle too, because I think that's always good to have somebody with like actual access to storage tools, yeah, I mean, that kind of thing. Hell and yeah. Being in the, in the Northern States, we have no idea what the weather's going to be like in March. It's like yeah, this year. That's a whole other thing. It's probably going to be snow, to be yeah, to be this, fair. <laughs> this year in March, we got here in Ohio, at least where I'm situated in central Ohio, or as Nicole would say, since I'm not in central Ohio, slightly east of it. Uh, we got, I think it was like the Monday of the week, we got a snowstorm and it dropped like six inches on top of whatever was already there. And it was the day before I planned on leaving. The sun came out, it was in the low 50s, and everything melted. And it stayed just warm enough for that the window I had to leave. That it was warm enough for me to leave. It wasn't snowy, it wasn't icy, I mean, it was cold as shit. But the weather allowed me to ride. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been at the March camp out. I just, I don't have a trailer, and I had no other way down. So depending on what this March is like, I might ride down to Tennessee and meet up with you, Goon, and we can side road it all the way down. I might be hitting up Juice if he's going to trailer down a yeah. bike to pick me up. I'll and... come get you. I'll bring the Rebel and come get you. Well, 
and just for, for everybody that doesn't know, like, I like, I live in Michigan, so we get snow and our snow season is like, usually, usually it doesn't start until late December. This year is pretty weird, but it's supposed to be a pretty heavy winter. So I anticipate we're going to ha- still have snow on the ground and the roads into the first two weeks of March. I think that it's interesting that the, the, the forgotten angels camp out is that third week of March, I think the 16th, the 19th and like, it could end up being a total last minute decision on whether or not I try to ride down. If yeah. I, I, I honestly, though, I, my inclination is still towards driving down just because I want to try to do, I want to build that bike for one, which I got to do that. I actually have to do that and spend the time to do that. But then if I do actually build that bike and get it into the raffle, then I have to bring it down. I don't know, man. It's a lot to consider, like, but I, I don't know what snow is. This is this foreign white powdery bullshit you guys are talking about. I have no idea. Give me give me one second. Um, oh, he's I, bring in I eventually <laughs> I eventually need to get my head out of my ass and start working on the the CB750 again. Um, I just haven't had the motivation to finish it in the slightest. I don't so, know what's wrong with me. So Aaron and I or wants to put together a small bore. I'm just calling it a small bore ride during the forgotten angels camp out where it's all bikes like under let's just say under 500 cc but you know with some exceptions so that that kz 400 i've got oh shit this <laughs> this is snow listen it's, this is it's one of the coldest ice. days i've seen it's 40 42 degrees outside and i am not walking outside and it's 40 i would so kill. I you still riding in it well, I'll be, I'll probably ride to work tomorrow. It's probably going to be a little bit less than that, but I'm going to complain about it the whole way. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't really do this. Yeah. <laughs> this Negative like, one. Oh my God. I don't even know what that feels yeah. like. I've never been under like 18 not degrees good. is the coldest I've been in. And I don't know what I've been in is a negative 115. What the? That's seriously. You ever had somebody be too familiar with you? A little too forward, a little too aggressive. We had negative eleven here, and when you'd step outside, that's how it felt. Like somebody was being awfully, awfully aggressive with you. Like, hey, man, this ain't right. Get, and that's the cold. And then you add the wind with it. The wind come whipping by, and it was like, oh, this is an yeah. offense, you know. Now, I'll, I'll take my way. ninety and hundred degree summers, and you no. guys can keep the snow. I'll, I'll put it down. Well, I mean, Alaska still it. gets 80, 90s in the summer. It just gets down to yeah, negative well, 100. Listen, so I'm going to ride to Alaska in the next couple of years. I will. I was oh, hoping yeah, this next so year. We're planning on it, happen. too. So well, I'm going to be a there's, a there's a big group of us coming. Well, I like point, to do things solo, but you're going to have to give me tips on really when the best time to go, because I keep hearing mixed reviews. We'll, we'll get together um, on that one. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah. So, Tiffany, just kind of give you a small idea. In the amount of time it took me to pick that snow up and put it in my hand and walk inside. I completely lost all feeling in my hand. Now see that, that sounds, that's a circle of hell. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Keep it. Okay. The ninth circle. We'll see. As Mike said um, uh, earlier in the stream after, okay. I'll say after negative 20 or negative 30, it stops being cold and it just hurts. Yes. Yep. (laughs) That's exactly. Have you actually seen or felt snow? Yeah, no, I, I've, okay. Before January, I'd seen a half an inch of snow, like I'd seen it fall. 
But then um, I wanted to take my son to see snow. He's 11. And so I took him to North Carolina. We were supposed to have one to three inches of snow. So I rented a cute little tiny house. I was going to try all the winter sports stuff. And then we got a blizzard. So I saw 24 mm. inches of snow um, yep. for three days. It's not the same trying to get your truck out of mud as it is snow. So we were stuck no. for three days. Um, but that was about two days too many for me. I'm really good not doing that again. Our, like, our last Christmas in Alaska, I think this was 20, 2019. Um, it had snowed a couple times in Anchorage, but it had all melted off. So the day before Christmas, you could still actually see the grass, which was unbelievable. And then on Christmas Day, it dropped 48 inches of snow. See, that's that's my mind doesn't in, really understand in an that. eight-hour period, just done. So I'm Holy struggling shit. with. Well, okay, all the places that I got to see this last summer, like I kept riding through some of these places, um, everything from like Sturgis to when I was over in Washington, I look at some of these areas and be like, oh, it's so pretty. I love this area. It's so nice. And then I, in the back of my mind, I was like, it's covered with snow a lot of this year. Like, like my brain wasn't doing it. And now I've been seeing the pictures like clockworks. I stopped at clockworks um, in South Dakota while I rode up there and like, it was a nice day. Like I was wearing a jacket cause I was cold, but <laughs> they just posted a video and there's like snow outside and my brain's still trying to understand like that happens, like it changes and it goes from not snow, like where I saw it to like lots of it and feet of it. And it's still very like, I don't know, surreal when I see some pictures, like I just don't, I, I've never had enough of the experience with it. I don't get it yet. I just know that I don't like cold. So the cool thing about Anchorage is you have Denali in the background. Mm -hmm. So at, at like October hits, you still have that snow-covered peak. And then as October and November progress, you see more and more and more of Denali mm -hmm. start turning white. And then the mountains that surround Anchorage start turning white. And then the next morning all of Anchorage is white. <laughs> it's actually pronounced Gantin. So besides me and Aaron. You're say Appalachian, aren't you? you, you the rest of what you about are the all... Appalachia? You're fucking wrong, and I hate you for it. I will throw an apple at you. <laughs> That's funny. It's actually one of the places that I read was um, Beartooth. Uh, pass in what is it Montana and so there was these white spots of ground like when I was riding that I kept thinking were sand they were not sand they were old snow spots and I just I had to walk yeah. up and touch it and I was like oh I'm a dumbass like it's just this slick though to be fair I mean it looked like looked like little sand spots I just thought it was sand and I was like wow that's so weird sand at 11,000 feet like I would have never guessed and it's it's not sand I really want to do a question, uh, not question. I really want to do a trip from here to Florida at like maybe Cape Canaveral or something like that. And then turn around with as many people that want to come with me and go all the way up the Alcan to, I think it's Homer. We, we discussed this last week. I can't remember the name of the exact city or town. Um, We'll get off the bikes and then go halibut fishing. 
Oh, that sounds fun. Random fishing. You're a fucking child. I'm <laughs> too ADD Charlie. for Charlie. Yeah. No, Charlie, no. <laughs> we're not doing that. No, Sorry. we are not Crazy. doing that one. <laughs> I don't want to... I missed something. I don't want to know. I'm not going to ask. Nobody said anything about anything, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> You know, so allegedly, ignorance, ignorance of bliss, I'm gonna stay ignorant right now. I'm not drunk enough for this shit yet. I'm only four deep on that either. Some scotch. This, I had to refill. That's the, why I went away. Is for this a bit. the cutoff point to where we start sliding into degeneracy now? Or you gonna, know what? You, We've done you, pretty you damn well. The... well Dude, we have yeah, done one, well this time. One... It's funny though. I gotta go to bed, actually, so I guess it's yeah. really great for me to be like, now I'm out. <laughs> All right, well, so, Tiffany, we've enjoyed having yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Thank You're you. always welcome nice. to come back. Pleasure. Take Absolutely. it easy. Right. Then we gotta talk. Have a good, good night. night. Merry Christmas. Night. Happy holidays. So, Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah, Merry Christmas to Whatever. everybody in chat out there. Yeah. Hope oh yeah. Merry Christmas, well. everybody in chat. Uh, Happy Paul. holidays. Boy. That's your thing. Yeah. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever. All of them. Bruiser is in the house. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bleak, you had we need you had an adult to come into this. Up. Yeah. Um so Nicole's not I, an adult. I've asked many seasoned writers, veteran writers, this. You know, I was a newer writer and I'm actually on a, a new writer's Facebook group and I asked the question there and I got so many different types of answers, but none of them were same, same. And that is what at what point do you transition from being a new writer to sort of a seasoned writer or a, a veteran writer or uh, juice in the back? We'll see what juice has to say. All right. Come on. I got a thought on this. So I think the, the defining point is when you consistently want want to go ride, and when you actually go ride, you don't have that that like anxiety in the back of your head, like you're going to die. It's really <laughs> dangerous. And like, you just like want to go okay, and you do it regularly and you don't care as much as you did when you were a new writer and you start to, uh, you're more seasoned when you explore more. So you're maybe not doing the same like loop or like if you were just going around your neighborhood and that's kind of like, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to go too far. But like you start to actually just do that. And you're not so worried about the destination. It's about the journey, right? Well, Boom. I can't All right. agree with that. Next. But I, uh, go ahead, I, I got so. And my grandfather told me this. It's like it doesn't matter when you think that you are no longer a new writer. The only thing that separates the writers who are green and are seasoned is time and experience. Of course, he was he was an old soldier, so he just likened it to experience and training to mileage and time in the seat I, and then I, different weather experiences. I think I have something that will tie both your guys' statements, ideas together. One of the guys from the Discord who I rode, I, I made my attempt to ride to Forgotten Angels the first time with a fella named Crazy Cooter. Um, on the way to his house to, to stay there before the next leg of the journey, uh, 
had a car pull out in front of me and really, you know, sketched me out. I had to stomp, grab a handful of brake. I had to do a little swerve. I was all stressed out after that. And I remember telling him about that experience and he said, huh, you know, it's been so long since I thought about that stuff. Um, I'm so used to people doing that to me every time I ride that I don't even think about it. I just react and move on. And the next time that that happened, I think, you know, it was maybe eight months later and I had gotten enough miles down that I just reacted and moved on and wasn't as stressed by it. It's kind of where I felt like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get this. And when I see a car, I can react to it and move on as opposed to, oh, and panic mode and just do what the MSF taught me and both brakes, you know, applied equally, which I don't know about a panic situation, how equal it was. But now that's exactly what I do. I can roll on the throttle. I can roll off the throttle. I can manipulate the clutch and the brakes all at the same time to make sure my escape path is the cleanest and, and easiest to follow leading to the most, you know, positive outcome. That's so, yeah. So a way that you can look at that is you have seat green riders that practice until they get it right. And then you have seasoned riders that have practiced it so much they can't get it wrong and it just becomes second nature. So well, I, I do like Bleak's question of, you know, when are you no longer a greenhorn to when are you an experienced rider? Uh, because I think... An iron butt on I, a tiny-ass yeah, motorcycle? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, <laughs> not even thinking that. I think it was... I think Nicole, one time I was talking with her, called me out on it because I'm at almost at 16,000 miles in my road since I bought it. And that's all, you know, like... Nine wow. Years, that's me. Wow. Fuck off. Um... I still consider myself at this point a new writer. Despite Bullshit. all the miles I've done, I still make a lot of mistakes that new writers make. You know, I still take like corners way too wide. Uh, I still occasionally stall out. You know, I still make a lot of those new writer mistakes. So I don't consider myself an experienced writer yet. There's still tons, like, I've never been on a really nasty, curvy road yet. There are some in Ohio, I just haven't been on them. You know, so like the thought of doing Tale of the Dragon is still extremely intimidating to me. Um, I will I, take you all over Tale of the Dragon I, and then some and you'll have a blast and you won't think twice. That's and, right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I won't enjoy it, but, you know, and going with what Juice said, you know, he thinks, you know, and stop me if I'm wrong, kind of taking what I took from what you boys is when that anxiety of I'm going to, you know, something bad is going to happen. I'm in trouble. When that goes away, you're an experienced rider. I have yet to have that voice disappear. Every time I get on that bike, I still have, you know, that little anxiety even on my shoulder. Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, are you going to make it home? Am I going to pull my driveway today? Or am I going to wake up in a hospital bed? I, that has never gone away, at least at this point. So to me, I still view myself as a greenhorn, as a new rider. I still think I'm inexperienced. And that doesn't have anything to do with the bike I ride. It doesn't have, to me, anything to do with the roads I ride. I just don't think I've gotten that experience yet to really put myself as a non-new rider. All right. Two things. Two things. Going back to 
you mentioned like you still stall out. I think everybody, maybe I'm wrong. Everybody occasionally has a stall out. What you do as a season rider is you blame it on your clutch. You say, dang, this thing must, the clutch must be going out on this thing. So that's, that's the first thing you got to learn. Yeah. Damn, this thing, I got to, I got to, I got to trade this thing in. The clutch is going out. Um, (laughs) second piece I'm already forgetting. Um, I, I think the other component of turning into a seasoned rider is, is thinking of motorcycle riding as kind of like a chess match. It's about anticipating everybody else's movements, whether that's cars, pedestrians, children, dogs, what have you, um, especially on the highway too. Um, getting to that point where you're really in tune with with yourself and you're confident in your own abilities, but also kind of being able to anticipate what the general public is going to do most of the time. And obviously there are many, many exceptions to that. But I think the point being like, you feel comfortable, like you don't need turn signals to, to acknowledge that, okay, this person's going to come over whether or not they indicate it. Like you just kind of, you pick up on that. That's that, I think that's also part of being a seasoned rider is knowing those cues, watching the, the, the front wheels of cars. I've been doing that since I've been driving actually, but just knowing those sorts of things, those little cues, like when you're really in tune with what everybody else is doing and you're a part of that chess match, but you're not going to get um, defeated. Hell yeah. Right, man. And to touch on uh, something that Blink was kind of touching on earlier, like uh, when somebody does some, when you don't get upset, you know what I mean? When it's just like somebody does some stupid shit and you're like, I knew that motherfucker was going to do that. Oh, whatever. We avoided it. We're going to live to ride another day. It is what it is. I think that for me personally was like when I was like, yeah, I've got some, you know, I've kind of got this somewhat under control. You know what I'm saying? It's like maybe in my first year, I'd let it upset me, you know, but you're going to really do a disservice to your own riding ability when you're upset. So when you maintain your, that's when you're seasoned. Well, something. Go ahead, brother. Something I picked up from Dan Dan the Fireman. He says it in a lot of his videos when he's watching Moto Stars or, or whoever else. He's like, okay, so now you've had an altercation with a driver and you're going to speed up and put yourself at more risk. Um, what the fuck are you going to do? What are you doing? No, no, no. That's not the answer. Now you're chasing that driver to settle some score why are you doing that? And I, I really took that to heart. You know, if somebody cuts me off, if somebody starts doing something that makes me feel my safety's at risk, I start pulling myself out of that situation. I start looking yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I'll take a turn. I'll get away from this person. I don't have to share the road with them. I can go find a path that leads me home safely and, and not have to deal with this. And I, I actually, I know another guy who, had some altercation with the car. He's going down the highway. He's trying to kick this car on his bike or maybe did. Um, he told me about the story later and I thought that's so unsafe. You know, I, I, I worry about you, man. And he's like, ah, he had it coming. And I'm like, in my shoes, I'd have been like, I'm just going to slow down. You know, I'll yep. get out of this situation. And 
choice. That's a fight you're not going to win, my man. Yeah. No, right, I, that car weighs a lot, you know? But I, I saw a video, I think it was on Instagram the other day, that of a another, it was a larger cruiser bike that had kicked the door of a car. The car swung over and tried yeah, to yep. hit them into the the, 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 the jersey yeah. barriers the median yeah. and wound up spinning out hitting three more cars yeah. and causing several rollovers yeah. and the bike just kept going have you guys seen the new I, one floating around insta where a guy's sitting at an intersection with traffic coming by yeah, and then yeah. a, a accident a t-bone happens and sends a truck flying at, at the motorcycle yeah. yeah have you guys seen Roll, that one barrel rolling into him yeah, yeah i've seen it yeah did, didn't you post that juice in uh discord no that was goon I think. Okay, yeah. Or, yeah. Or maybe it's Richard. And that was a good video to see, it. just to see that that happens. Yeah, you know? It unlocked a new fear. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know. before we get too far into this, um, chat, yeah. if you guys have um, anything that relates to this, please put it up and we'll answer it as we see it. Anything as in new writing questions. questions new writer questions. Um something you would have liked to have been told when you started writing for the first time. Or if you just have questions for yeah. us, I mean, we'll answer them. I think I, I well, just to kind of go back to like being question. angry at highway. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. True. 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 Just to, to go back to being angry at highway drivers or any drivers really is like, I think it's perfectly okay to be upset for like, I don't know, say five to 10 seconds. But just due to the nature of motorcycling, you can't, you, you either, you, you need to express that anger quickly because like you have to move on because yeah. it, motorcycling takes your full attention. And I don't, I, I, I think there's plenty of times where I've, I've like gotten mad. I know some of you are, are very well aware of the time I flipped a driver off that was trying to cut it into our group ride. Aaron's even more acutely aware of some some stuff I've done, but in general, <laughs> got it all it's okay to be mad, but you got to like, it's just got to move on. I think you got to let the, let the adrenaline flow, but not put yourself at risk of like just getting crushed by a driver or shot. Cause some, in some places that's a real fucking thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, go ahead. Why you always carry heat too. Kind of tying back in with what, you know, no comment on that. Off, <laughs> sorry no, go ahead, go ahead. But tying back in with what Bleak said, remove yourself from that situation. Uh, the very first time I decided to get on the interstate last year, when I really started, you know, trying to push my boundaries and learn more, the first thing I saw, I got on the on ramp, I merged in. The next on ramp, on ramp, I saw a um, individual as they were merging. I saw them doing this and I looked over at them. They had a full plate of spaghetti or some other type of noodle dish, like on an actual plate with a fork and was eating it, not even touching the steering wheel while they were merging on the interstate. So I dropped back, Wait. let them get ahead of me. And I got on the next offer. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me you don't eat spaghetti in the car. Was it, Dennis, no. was it Dennis Reynolds? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to leave it as ambiguous as I can, just to keep things friendly. But it was an individual who was merging with their vehicle on, from an on-ramp, and you know they were coming up right beside me, 
they weren't accelerating or slowing down to get in front of or behind me. So either they were expecting me to move or me to slow down. But once I looked over and physically saw them literally not touching the steering wheel, just a plate in hand, fork in the other, shoving noodles down their gullet, I decided to drop back. I got off on the next off ramp. Pusketty. That'd be an interesting at, at a stunt show, you know, a rider, he's doing a wheelie and then someone hands him a plate of spaghetti and now he's, he's Mom's spaghetti. It honestly, it honestly wasn't long after that, that I really started to notice bad cagers more often. I started taking more, more awareness of when people were texting, not paying attention to driving. And that's why I first got a GoPro. It wasn't to make YouTube videos. It wasn't to share my rides with my friends. It was literally to have in case something bad happened. Because, uh, you know, there is a stigma of when an accident happens with a bike, it's typically the rider's fault. You know, I, I've heard and witnessed way too many stories where the rider's doing everything they can to avoid the accident, to be a proper rider, not, ex you know, speeding not shooting through red lights and stop signs and just something happens, but all the blame gets put onto the rider. So I, I got it more for worst case scenario and I need legal protection for that. Um, because I've had plenty, since I do a lot of in-town writing in my local living situation where I'm at, I get cut off all the time. I have people shoot out of, you know, out of intersections. You know, they've taken a right turn or just completely you know, not paying attention to a stop sign shoot through that have been near misses for myself. I have been on you know, the highway, interstate, state routes, and there's a car ahead of me hitting yellow line to white line, yellow, and just going back and forth. Either they're drunk, they're texting, they're just distracted driving in general. And, you know, that's- Drop a gear and disappear. Uh, no, I just slow way down. I don't want that behind me. Because if it's behind me, I can't watch it. Yeah. So I would rather I would rather slow my own pace of travel down and let that be ahead of me because I can react better if it's in front of me and I can see it. You know what if it's if it's behind you me. You know fix I... it? More power, baby. More power, you baby. Stay behind because you More power, baby. Power. <laughs> well that no, that's also true. I do know I do Sorry. know the limitation of my bike. Not really. But no, it, that is an honest thing to keep in mind, too, is there is um, a limitation of my bike. I've definitely gotten to the point this, you know, now with riding that the 500 is great for some of the riding I want to do, but the other riding I want to do, I need something that's better for it. Yeah. That's got more power. That's more that better at it. A, a larger engine would be a thing, but a more... <laughs> A bike that's more comfortable for long distance. More power juice, would lead into that. Juice and oh, mobile power, baby. The uh, of the mindset of I pay. I bought the whole speedometer. I want to use the whole fucking speedometer. That's right. I I've been trying to use it. It always stops. <laughs> See, I, again, I bought the whole. We speedometer. get it, Aaron. The, the whole speedometer. speedometer is sixty for you. Some of us actually have yeah. one hundred forty plus. That gets up to eighty-five, ninety, I think. Listen, listen, a hundred and one with a tailwind going downhill and tucking. Uh, well, tucking, did, uh, you mean you just zip tied oh. the throttle and let it go? 
No, I mean, I <laughs> opened the throttle, I laid my head down on the tank, and I pulled my feet up behind me. <laughs> oh my I was God. almost also, laying across the bike. Bleak. Bleak, you gotta, once you get the Connie going in the spring, you have got to let me know what you can get it up to top speed, because I have been struggling to get it past, like, 115, you know, in, in Mexico, Mexico, allegedly. In Mexico. Allegedly. Right, right. Sepiatone, Mexico, everyone. <laughs> it wants to go. The the bit I wrote it, um, it really wants to run 70, 80 down that Mexican oh, yeah. highway just as where it, it's comfortable at. And then it's still 85. got plenty to give, you know. So I, I, I would say I'm kind of excited to see where it goes and what it'll do. And uh, the mechanic I had do all my work was like, man, this has the heart of a ninja. And he, he's the one who yeah. kind of spurred me to do a, a follow-up video because I did a video of, like, picking the Connie up and sort of a little bit more of, of documenting the journey it's been on because it's been on a hell of a journey, that bike's resurrection. Um, and then he, he watched my video and he said, oh, man, if I had one critique, you know, that bike can take it. You can give it some rip-ems. And, oh, yeah. and really and really romp on it, you know. Uh, why don't you wind it out? So then I, I, I thought, well, there's a challenge here. There's a, a chance for me to maybe learn something. So I made a whole video of just practicing revving high on it and taking it a little further and then doing a nice clean shift. And I even graded myself throughout throughout the video where I was like, oh, good. Oh, great. You know, nice rev. This was a good... And but I was in the city, so I mean I had to keep it in in within reason. And uh, no, uh, within that's reason. where that's your first Give that motherfucker. The... <laughs> Dude, red line starts at ten five. You could shift at ten, and that thing will love it. First gear, second gear through town. Everybody will hate you. You will have the best time of your life. I promise you. <laughs> Some of us <laughs> on a dad bike. It's so cool. Yeah. Electronically alter the governors on our bikes, Bruiser. Um, however, I got to ride a one of the new Nysters. I think that's what they're called. I don't fucking yeah. know. The new, the new Nysters. Nysters are, the 950? Um, the 975. That have already been. The 75 or 50. 975. As you could say, and it's it's a good thing. it will shit and get down in Mexico so, yep. is all I will say. I I was fucking terrified. Yeah, and very. What's the word I'm looking for here? Aroused all at the same time. As Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, that bike's got that low center of gravity because it's got that yeah. tank under the seat yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I also it's the V Rod Reborn. Yeah, I I also rode the new Nightster. Uh, the same day I rode the ST, cool. and then I rode the Fat Bob. ST really impressed me. The Nightster, I I absolutely loved it. It handled better than the Rebel. Um, okay, I'm going to say something real I quick. <laughs> Three cubic inches isn't shit. <laughs> I will keep up with you on a 114. Prob I prob yeah, yeah, you would. Usually, two bikers can't 
I, I shouldn't say usually, but I, I see I watch but a you're lot used of content. To three inches, Aaron. And I watch a lot of different <laughs> bike reviews and just constantly consume a lot of content. And everyone I've ever watched who's rode one of the lowrider STs says nothing but good about it. Oh, what a ride it was, how comfortable it was, how incredible it felt. And so they must have hit like a real home run with that lowrider ST. And uh, then uh, someone in a comment somewhere was saying, like, I don't think it'd be a good bike for long distance. Well, Shane Tree oh. was out somewhere, and Dave Dave yeah. drove and met him on his lowrider ST it's and didn't seem to have a complaint. No. Uh, so, handlebars and David had nothing but great things. Yeah, they're fun. Everyone, everyone My, who's rode that bike. I, I didn't really – the only thing I could say about the ST that kind of threw me for a loop is by the end of the test ride, I felt a little, just a little like scrunched up on it, and I don't feel that on my Rebel. But I Which think that could easily be resolved with either one. Well, also I was super used to my Rebel. I, at that point, I'd never ridden a different bike, other than the bike I had before the Rebel. But you know, now that I've ridden more bikes, like different styles of seating positions, different bikes, I'll, I would have a very different opinion if I was to get on the ST now. But I think either a seat change would completely change the feel of the bike and make me not feel scrunched up if I went from the stock seat to like a uh, mm-hmm. like a narrow saddleman step up. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, dude. <laughs> Just looked at chat. <laughs> fuck you, dude. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you the typical Harley owner answer. New risers, new seat, and new exhaust. I and change out that odd shaped fucking saddle bag. So yes. yeah. Well I so, can't stand that's the one thing I don't like about that bike is that on for for me, the ST I didn't really think the bars were bad. It either the I didn't say bars, I said risers. Very different. I said very, bars. very different. I said same difference to me. To me. The bar place. Okay, you fine. own a rebel, so I, I don't the, I don't give much credit yeah. to that. <laughs> the bar placement was fine for me it's either it just needed a slightly taller seat or the pegs needed to be not even like full forwards but like forward they needed to go down i don't even think yeah. going down would be the they thing they put them I back where they did like, for the s they're they're fucked right now if yours cramped on them imagine me cramp like i sat on it and i was like what? nope yeah, i don't even think i could ride that fucking thing yeah, but it's okay because it costs you five hundred dollars to tra- to fit swap from mids to forwards on Harley. Seriously, it's fucking stupid. Yeah. And if you want black, it's five fifty. <laughs> but see, here's the real fucking kicker, and this is some bullshit. Harley will give you adjustable levers on the Chrome version, but you don't get adjustable on black. It makes sense if you don't think about it. <laughs> no, I, because, I love my lowrider S to death, but I will I will consistently call Harley out on the bullshit that they pull. Yeah, just to make an extra dime. I'm not a um, I'm a lowrider S fanboy, but I'm not a Harley fanboy. Mm-hmm. I like bike. See, I like bike. I I don't currently I don't have a brand loyalty. You know, I don't think any one brand is 
superior than the other, but there is one thing I've now noticed as I've been test riding more bikes, as I've been looking at newer models and things to look into getting, is that there are definitely attributes that I'm looking for that other uh, manufacturers don't meet with their more recent lineup. So like Honda, you have the Rebel lineup, you have the Shadows, and if I remember correctly, everything there is 750cc and lower with the exception of the Rebel 1100. Well, I've ridden a Rebel 1100 down at Forgotten Angels. It is slightly bigger and your spread... Your, you know, what she said. That is. You are slightly. Got, all right. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for another one, goon. And on the Rebel 1100, it's you're you slightly too. more spread out. Yeah, that's what he said. And, but, I honestly like the 1100 to the 500. There's really not much more difference, and the 1100 has a little more power, and it costs three grand more. For those of you remaining, this is where the debauchery begins, finally. Absolutely. So yeah. those of you that were looking forward to this, Here it is. it's only taken almost three hours. <laughs> yeah, we've kept this we're... fairly decent for too long, damn it. <laughs> what the hell is going on with this? We had Indigo Moto in here, and we were trying to be on our best behavior to not we're scare like, no, yes, I feel like this yes. is needed one more time. Parental guidance is suggested. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Too late. Now, too fucking late. But then the next size up engine for Honda, and they're more like current lineup in the last few years to get new, is the Honda Fury, which I think is a 1300cc bike. And then the next chopper. is a Goldwing. Get to the chopper. Which, okay, I've heard rumors <laughs> of the Goldwing going away. And no. I don't I don't think it is. I, think I, I, I really hope it's BS. not, because Goldwing is so, like they're creme de la creme touring. Yeah. Some of the European standards are changing. And some of the bigger displacement bikes uh, don't meet those standards. There's not a way for them to meet those standards. And it's it's almost specific to certain areas. Uh, here in the United States, that's not an issue. This market, you're not going to tell Harley owners, hey, your bike is pushing too much carbon. Uh, you got to tone it down. That's not what they're about. You know? That's right. um, They'll say, fuck off with that shit. <laughs> We're Nicole, not gonna fucking you encourage our bad behavior. Uh, I was literally <laughs> typing that, yeah. Nicole encouraged the debauchery to have a earlier presence in the episodes. So here's what I'll say about the gold wings. In like July or like summer, something like that, there was that rumor that like the manual transmission gold wing was going away because the only way that the gold wing was going to stay in the U.S. market was because because they would have automatic, or I'm um, sorry, DCT transmissions. What the fuck is it? It's automatic transmission. I mean, um, because of the, the shift point in that transmission, it, it kept emissions down. And then November came, and then Honda's like, hey, bitches, we're keeping everything. It's fine. So oh, well, isn't, and it's, I'm, I'm not completely up to date on my, my Goldwing knowledge. Um, isn't it already water-cooled? Or is it still air cool? Yeah, is there, I think they've water. been water cool, liquid cool. Okay, yeah. Well, liquid, whatever. Or, sorry, yeah, liquid. But you know, I got a radiator full of piss. <laughs> yes. So, whatever keeps it going. But like, exactly. what is dead may never die. You know, kind of raining it back in. Looking. Fuck your reins. For... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to know about the cooling effects of piss. 
you get a lot of you get a lot more performance with with the urine. It keeps it at least ten degrees cooler. Well, it has a higher salt content, therefore it has a higher freezing temperature than regular water. So let that be a lesson to all you out there, you know. Fill your bikes with piss. If it's really cool better. and you need to keep your vehicle running cool, just piss in the radiator. No. Uh, if Rowdy was... <laughs> if Rowdy was still here, he'd be so talking about... fucking hard, sleep, uh, hard asleep he'd be right like, now. He'd be like, that doesn't meet the National Highway Traffic Safety Foundation standards for cooling. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Rowdy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, we did a study on the cooling effects of piss, and my company found found out that uh, you know, in the northern climates, it doesn't work as well. It actually freezes and inhibits cooling. That dude is so smart. You need some of that I love you, Rowdy. Of piss, then. That's why you got. That's why you got to make uh, somewhat. Some kind of intake of. Uh, I don't want to see Rule Thirty Four. Bruiser, <laughs> no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta ingest some ethylene glycol. You know what I mean? Before <laughs> you piss in it. Don't, well, yeah, don't. If you don't drink, uh, what you're saying is you have to drink the purple shit that the Europeans are putting. Fireball. Out. There you go. <laughs> so, no, Fireball has got glycol in it, and you're good. So you know about not getting touched, right? <laughs> 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 We've gone off the deep end. We are diving. Oh yeah, we're scuba diving, baby. We're scuba divers. Motor diver. Right, so raining like, when we need you. Pull away. Pull away back in. Raining it. No, raining no, no. There's no, there's no raining this up. My, my, my current issue right now is I'm looking for something that is more comfortable for like long distance trips. Has a larger displacement uh, engine, has a larger engine, and my issue with Honda is kind of what I'd be looking for would be like the old VTXs are, but I would like something a little more modern. And if they that's cool something piss. Like that. Come over to Kawasaki. <laughs> We've got a Vaquero with your name on it. Do they still make the Vaquero? You can get a used one with a lot of the modern amenities. For sure. My, I'm still. I, I've been Kawasaki is this made in Nagasaki. My They're made with, like, in Kawasaki, heaven. My one issue with Kawasaki is like the the Vulcan lineup. I'm not a fan of the Vulcans. And True. Fuck Vulcan 900. Sorry. Just, not I'm sorry. Just, I'm not a fan of the Vulcans. Is is what a lot of it is. Uh, and to my understanding, the Volcaro is that what it's called? Volcaro. However you want to pronounce it. I'm terrible at pronunciation. Letters. Tomato, tomato, throw tomato. Some, throw some Spanish so, on it. Vaquero. Vicario. That one. Yeah. That, that one. Isn't that listen, Nicole's like a... not in this part, so we don't have to be going Cinturino or whatever the fuck it was last week. <laughs> <laughs> we go, Nicole and to slap me when she meets me. <laughs> isn't the Vaquero just like a, a slightly more souped up and done up Vulcan? No. No. It, well... The Vulcans came, I think, in a smaller displacement. The Vaquero's a little bigger. The Vaquero, to my understanding, and I don't have the experience of riding one, I just Google them all the time, uh, is very similar to, like, your Ultra Glide. Or, I was going to say Street Glide, for sure. 
Yeah. Street well, Ultra Glide. It's a Kawasaki Ultra. I mean, that's there comes, that's their thing. There, that comes in my next issue. Is I and I, I everyone I say this to, I get the same answer from them. I understand when a bike's moving, the weight's different. But I used to do a lot of in town, slow, slow, tight turn maneuverability, <laughs> and the weight of a bike to me, you know, a heavy bike is still very intimidating. And I don't. I think you get quickly. you get used to it. You would get used I, to it really quickly. I really think that. I do believe that in my heart. In my I, in my true. I as a person, I Truth. don't adjust to things quickly. I'm a very slow to adjust to thing kind of things person. Goon, I can see you making a face. Let it out. I I just went through the transition you're talking about. Um, <laughs> oh, Goon's trying his best to not go off of that one. Um, I I went from having a 500 pound wet bike. To having the six hundred and sixty pound bike. Yep. Uh, I didn't think one hundred and sixty. I didn't think it would be that big a difference. In fact, one of the things that, that drew me to the concourse was how similar it is to my to my Z nine hundred as far as controls, as far as sort of body ergos. Nope. It, it's so similar that I thought, oh, this will be an easy transition. In mm-hmm. fact, to getting into bigger bikes, that it's 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 a different world. So you hop on the bike. And like I said, you begin relearning some of the techniques you already know. Uh, and just getting used to that weight, you got to stop a little sooner. You maybe got to yeah. well, not I mean, get as aggressive in a corner because the weight handles differently. To, to a point, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But, you know, like I made the statement earlier, I went, my Rebel is like 400 and with the modifications I've done to it, like 410 pounds wet, wet weight. A lowrider S is like I think six eighties. Lowrider ST is like seven fifteen ish. Dude, are you all right, bud? So about a three hundred <laughs> weight difference between about a three hundred pound difference between Jesus Christ, old diver. Holy smoke! <laughs> Fuck! You pay attention to chat. No. That's the first thing I see. Um, he likes his rides moist. Uh, but you know the transition from like the the rebel to the lowrider S or SC was actually very clean. I feel like they handled very similarly. Riding, you know, other than that, has a little more weight to it in tight corners. And every time I look at juice, man, sorry, bigger displacement no. engine, so it accelerates. Aaron's just keep going. That. I'm trying, trying. hard as hell because ADD is like all over the place. But I found that to be a very easy transition. But going from like my rebel to a heritage, um, it it just felt nasty because it is a very different ride. Fucking been there, man. Rebel going from my rebel to um, the Indian Super Chief again. It just it was a very not clean transition. So for me, that's part of the reason why I'm obsessed with the Lowrider S and the ST so much is it, it feels so much like the Rebel. It's an easy transition and ride for me that it's not much of a change. But, you know, jumping on, like, uh, yeah, the, jumping the on one... like a glide, it's so, it's so big. It's so, you know, I'm so much more like, spread out. <laughs> Sorry, homie. Oh my god. I'm not helping my case, I know. <laughs> Try to 
Harley's laugh just gets me, man. <laughs> that is a good laugh. That's a good one. You know, it's just that's my thing is me as considering myself a new writer, finding that next step up bike for me, I'm having a lot of trouble. And I've talked with a vast crowd of people and I've had a lot of bikes recommended to me. Almost everyone has told me a road game, but the thing is I don't know if I'm ready for a road game. Even though I haven't test rode one yet, I don't know if that should be my next step up. I think the SE, yes. even though it's got a larger engine, it'll dominate still, you. It, I'm okay with that. Um, I know you're used to being a sub. It's okay. Well, you know, I Daddy, really... sorry. Daddy, sorry. Daddy, sorry. <laughs> Daddy, sorry. That brings up a conversation. <laughs> We can have that discussion after the live stream stops. Um, All right. I've been trying to look at an old Voyager. I've really had my heart set on an old uh, big bike, like 800-pound touring bike, the the old-school Voyagers from, like, 85 or, you know. um, But I I actually had seen a a newer, I think, I don't really remember 2015 2011 something like that vaquero and it was so pretty and it looked so like a bike i want to ride that uh i'm kind of torn now by having had having ridden both old bikes and new bikes bikes with abs bikes with lcds l l you know all the trims in between I kind of like some of the the new perks. Um, Although my Connie is, you know, got carburetors, my Z900 is completely fuel injected. And I don't have to ever worry about a stall on it. It just stays running. Um, So there's stuff to be said on both fronts. Yeah, the bike that would probably be like a couch ride across the country, it's the Voyager. But that Vaquero offers a lot of newer features that I think I'd really enjoy as well. And so I, I can completely relate to you, Aaron, and say I, I too have been torn on sort of wh- where do I go from here? Um, See, for for oh, me, and, and sorry to cut you off, for me, I don't, I'm not necessarily as concerned with the features as much more as I am concerned about the capability and comfortability of the ride. Because I'm getting to the point now where, yes, I've done two iron butts on the Rebel. The first one wasn't that so bad. Awesome. This second one, my lower back was fucked up the entire week of the camp out. What are we missing here? <laughs> the chat. We need Road we Warrior. Need Road Warrior is uh, really what going. Is, Nicole, going get your ham. ass in here. If we're gonna keep going, like we're on like Nicole, three hours. She's, she's been just, doing great. I don't know if you guys have been watching. Like she's been putting out more content on Insta and um, really starting to. I, I see her popping up in my feed a lot more yeah, for putting yeah. content out. Yeah. And uh, it's it's good stuff. It's good content. Yeah, Thing is, because since I've recently started making new content, I've spurred other people into wanting to make content again. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and put that on me. Even if it's not true, I'm saying it's true. Just go back to being starfished. Yeah. Wow. 
I miss making content. It's been so cold. I, I, I Blake, make... you're doing great with content. I'm not. I'm <laughs> they, all the little shit that you're doing with your filters is fucking gold. I love it. Well, I monetize now, so I got to keep making making up new shit. I want I want this passive income. Shit, Only dude. on Instagram. Only on Instagram. Fuck it. That's better than nothing, my dude. Hell yeah. So I can make up to six hundred bucks extra a year on the 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 monetization tier I'm in, which is the lowest, like a thousand subs, um, on on Insta. And so you get every month you can make five videos. You get ten bucks a video, and but they but they like pigeonhole you into having to make two months worth of content because you can't cash out until you hit a hundred bucks. Okay, Juice, what have you got before? Nicole I got a question. Else that gets me riled up. I got a, chat again. I, of the, your 1,000 Instagram followers, what percentage of those do you think are the, the accounts that are like, follow me for sex. Here's the <laughs> photos of me. Click this link. Because I got like, I think probably half of my followers at this point. I leave them. I don't block I, them. I, bl- I, I block them. Here. But like, I block them. that shit ride. <laughs> oh, he's a purist. He's like, those, I block him. Okay. I don't want those people going to to people who are actually subscribers of mine who are interested in following my content and having their feeds inundated with that, whatever it is. Maybe it's forum. Most likely it's not. But I don't want people who I care about, who I'm trying to either spread a message to or get into writing or offer some kind of advice or just come along on my journey with me. I don't want them having to sit there and sort through their feed trying to get back to my content because someone on my account is sending them every day tons of this click here to see what they got. Well, that was the best part of Instagram's it's like having that like uh, request feature or also having separate inboxes for general and primary because like all that garbage ends up in like an inbox that I don't see as much. Yeah, you get. But a also, my, my yeah, you get like, a request inbox, a primary, and a general. Like, if they want to follow my page, that's fine because whether or not I, I get what you're saying though. Like, I don't want to expose my audience to it, but also, I feel like Instagram is just rid. It's. If they're just ridden with it. Like whether or not they're on my page, those people are like they're out there fucking doing it. Like whether or not they're following me, and I, I whether or not I block them. Like I don't know, man. Well, I'll give you an so example of what I what I don't want to be a part of. So I okay. watch a lot of YouTube, right? I watch a ton, like a metric ton of YouTube. And one uh, a year ago, two years ago, whatever it was, a bunch of the YouTubers were shilling established titles. So I got the the $140 pack for me and the wife. We were lords and ladies and it felt good and it was cool and it was fun and it was an enjoyable gift. And then it recently comes out that it's all bullshit and it's completely for novelty and there's nothing behind it. And that cheapens the gift. I still have the little thing that says me and her are a lord and a lady and I still enjoy it, I guess, for the novelty. But I don't want to play into that. I don't want to sell people bullshit. You know, um, I, and especially in the stuff where I'm talking to people about addiction or recovery, I'm not trying to sell them on anything. I'm hoping they'll find on their own. There's another way to live life. 
you know? And so to do that, you kind of have to keep your hands and your feet clean, I guess. Okay. You know? All right. I, I guess I wasn't, I, I get it in that sense. I, I guess I wasn't making the connection. Like, I don't know. Like they're following my account. That's kind of their free will to do so. I don't have to, if I followed them back, that'd be a whole other issue. But I get what it. If you, wanna, if you it really was... want to just, just. What tipped me off to it was Facebook, where somebody had messaged me on my personal Facebook, not my page, and say, hey, are you friends with this person? Because they've been messaging me all day, trying to sell me on Illuminati or stocks or something. And I'm like, um, I, I think I randomly added them. They sent me a friend invite, and they're doing what? They're, they're messaging you 10 times a day about your car insurance? Blocked, you know? And so pe- I care about you guys. I care about my motorcycle community. I don't want to subject you to that shit. And if I can do something about it, I'll just block the problem, you know, remove the problem. But what about that Nigerian prince that wants to give you all the He all won't give me my gold. Money. I told he him just to send me to some of the gold it. so I could pay for the gold. Until he Did sends me the gold, your... I can't pay him for the gold. You just got to tell your audience about it, really. Hello, uh, one of the one of the things I love about Shade Tree Surgeon is he won't shill a product he doesn't believe in, and he makes good products. In the early days of my getting into content, I'd buy a shirt from him, and I'd buy a shirt from him, and I'd you know check it out. And some of the shirts I bought a year and eight months ago are trash. They fell apart. the The print on them looks eroded, gone. Everything I bought from Shade Tree looks like the day I bought it, the day I received it. It looks good. It's strong. It's made of a nice material. And one of the reasons I keep coming back to that guy's content is because he he reps good products. He talks about you can be a bad person, but you can still help others. You know, Um, there's a lot of good stuff to glean from that guy. And and then I I get a kick out of kind of adapting some of that for my content you have a question in chat bleak oh i do um yeah yeah i can so i've been using progressive <laughs> you can say 15 percent or more by switching to Geico. <laughs> i think progressive like i use progressive it's the easiest for motorcyclists i think bundle I home could be and auto <laughs> let the record you show want a bundle that, yeah we're all shilling for flow yeah. That's just oh, because no, you have yeah. Rule 34 fantasies about her. Charlie. Hey, she pulled up See, on a bike. I have, I've got Geico for <laughs> car and bike. Well, you saved 15%, apparently. Um, but no, getting back to the whole bot topic, I don't know if the bots on Instagram that follow you actually try to engage with your follower base. I'm not sure how all that system works. Um, but like Aaron put in chat earlier, you get a few a day and then a couple days later they're, they're gone cause they get right. banned. Yeah. I can't seem to crack 1,175 followers on Insta. It goes to 175 and then it drops down 170, oh, 165. You know what that is? Then- That's the 1,175 limit. You didn't hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
You'll um, get there. You'll get there, buddy. I'm sorry. Hey, I just cracked 160 subs on YouTube, and I'm thrilled. That's, right. I'm fucking tickled to death right now. And this is not Dude. like a fucking self little plug. I'm just – I was thrilled this morning it. when I seen 160. No, I think if you <laughs> create subs good, away from 100. Hell yeah. If I you need, create something good, people. people are going to tune in. You know, somebody out there like you is going to want to watch it. They're going to get something. That means I've been creating shit. That's, that does I need not to create mean that better stuff now. You, you are growing slowly. And it <clears throat> it's like Josh told me in Mar- at March's camp out. Slow. It's going to be slow up until your first thousand. And then you're going to do just what Chase did. And you're going to start jumping in increments. Like, I, I don't let you know, it bother me if I jump three and then lose two. I'm looking right. at gains no matter what. And regardless if only 100 people still enjoy my shit, I do it because I enjoy it. And if other people enjoy watching it, just like this, I would do this with you guys regardless if people actually watched. Right. But fucking a. I enjoy it. And if other people yeah. enjoy our fucking insanity, even better. And you guys yeah. in chat can either agree or blow it. <laughs> I'm having fun. And I enjoy like putting information out for people too. So yeah, same. You know who surprised me recently? Which it's not that surprising, I guess. But like the diplomat, my boy Dip. Oh, he's he taking blew off. up. That like shit is he good, gained man. a thousand subs in like it was like a day or two. It was he went from like three thousand to four thousand, I think, in a day. Yeah, which is nuts so, for I mean, I mean, our scale of things. Like that's pretty also, fucking crazy. Also, kind of using that as like, if we're looking at that, look at um, Spike's corner. Yeah, he had yep. his own YouTube channel when he was with Yami Noob. He granted he didn't make consistent content. He wasn't very active on his channel, but he went from what like a couple hundred. He went well. I think he went from like ten k subs to I watched something from him the other day, and all of a sudden he's at ninety five k or ninety eight k. Yeah, and a lot of that because so, he makes better content than Yami. He, yeah, well, he was no, making the good content. It's because He's a normal for, dude. If you look at the history of Yami Noob, and I can't tolerate Yami at all. I hate hearing his voice. I don't like how he views bikes and stuff. I don't. I don't care for him and his views. But if we look at the history of his channel, once Spike started working with him or for him, and started taking over a lot of the content creation or being the face in the content. And him giving his views and giving us the information. That's when Yami Noob as the channel saw massive growth. Three hundred thousand so, subs. Three yeah, three hundred thousand plus subs. He so when you know, now that he's not part of Yami Noob, a lot of those that were, I believe, subscribed to Yami Noob just came over and subscribed to Spite. Right. They might not have unsubbed from Yami, but they were Spite fans. I did his channel. I fucking unsubscribed. He's the one YouTuber I've ever unsubscribed from. I I never subscribed to Yami. I would on the occasion watch one of the videos until I heard his voice and then I would cut it. One of my best one of my best friends is the Jixer bro. And his content about Jixer bros would have me howling. Um, but after the shit he pulled with Spite, I'm in Iowan. We still handle things with a handshake. You know, you don't treat people that way. And that was all the more I had to learn about that man 
to know he is not for me. I don't care what content he puts out. I don't like the guy because the way he treated what should have been his friend, what was his employee, that's not yeah. good business. That's not that's not a, a recipe well, no, and, for something to last. So, and on top of that, the video doesn't exist on uh, the Yami Noob channel anymore. I have it. But he made Spike do an exit interview. That seemed like a hostage record, situation. It, it very much was. I saw where someone like recorded it and reacted to it and then uploaded on their channel because like Yami got a couple of, uh, of um, comments on it and then took it down. Whether he made it private. If anybody or needs or it, I can send you it. Please do. I would love to see the raw video. Yeah, fucking. Uh, yeah, I, I remember watching that the next day. But. And it just being yeah. appalled. But to kind of go back to the point I was making is I love Alex to death. I love, I love Diplomat. He's a phenomenal person. But he had a presence on Shaytree's channel before he made his channel. So he already had a fan base before he started his channel. So now that it's known that he's making content a lot of the people who liked seeing him in shaytree's channel have just come over to his platform which is you awesome know, that's just shaytree's kind of like, like a godfather he gives you his blessing mm -hmm. and then yeah, you can yeah. maybe progress in the moto world i mean you're not wrong but after hanging out with diplomat um at the camp out and talking to him through instagram <clears throat> He's cool as fuck, and I would have watched him regardless of Josh. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, He's got a good also, style. He's got a good way about him. Also, he fucking stepped up to the plate, man. He he developed himself as a true builder. Like, the bike yeah. he built that was ready for camp out, like, he established that, like, he's not just a glob on for the Shade Tree Army. He's not just an add-on. Like, he is somebody that is oh, serious own, about own yeah, and he he, could, he stands alone. He yeah, can stand alone just yep. on his just by himself. Well, and, and the bikes he builds are dope. And you know that kind of goes along with what I'm saying. He didn't, you know, Josh didn't say, "Well, my friend Alex made a YouTube channel. Go check him out." Alex was already in so many videos beforehand. We knew of him. People knew of him. Mm -hmm. People liked him. People liked seeing what he did, liked his personality, and getting to meet him in person and talk with him a little bit at the campouts has also been a phenomenal experience. So he already had essentially an established fan base. So now that he's actually making his own content and that's getting more and more publics or getting out there more and more and people are seeing that on top of, yes, the Cholo build was phenomenal. That alone, even if like we never saw it on Josh's videos, if he released something like that, I could easily have seen that getting him hundreds of followers like that. Yeah. So yeah, people will follow Alex because he's a great content creator already. Yeah, I was thrilled that. he let me video that bike. I was fucking just yeah. straight tickled. So, you know, it's just one of those of like, it's that, what is it, the three degrees of separation. You know the right three people, you know everybody. You become friends with everybody. It's kind of like that in that case of, well, Shadetree already has a following, but he introduces so many more people into their videos. And if someone takes a liking to them, then they go check out that person's And he, he transcends so many genres, mm -hmm. you know. He's got video game background noise. He's got colors and and different stuff and he's not oversaturating you with memes throughout the video it's real person to person contact and uh like i said in my first year of writing you know i'm sitting there listening to this guy from sort of like a, a big brother perspective and he's saying you know challenge yourself 
take your bike out, whatever you got to ride, and do 100 miles on it this weekend. And just see what that's like. You know, that's my homework assignment to all you guys who watch my videos. You know, there's no prize for it. There's just experience for it. And uh, the way he approaches content creation, um, I feel like I have nothing but stuff to learn from this man, you know, uh, because just the way he approaches it, it's it's very pure. It's very raw, but very honest. And I like that. Yes. Yeah, so and probably want to get back to our other instead of, you know, going on about other YouTubers. Um talking to josh and this was in march when i first started my channel he's like yes i have figured out my formula he's like i don't he's like i don't want people taking my formula and like copy and paste he's like everybody will have their own unique formula for posting content and producing content in general he's like take the positives that you see from mine and blend it with your own style he's like it'll take a few years to find your way of doing it, but you'll find it and then you'll take off. Yeah. Or you won't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> stay positive, so, motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Back before Thanksgiving, I met up with Jess and Jordan and we were just talking, shooting shit, having a few drinks. And YouTube came up and we were talking about it. And I'd mentioned that I just started the channel not too long before that. And Jordan's like, well, what are you going to do to stand out? And I just looked at him and said, not a damn thing because I don't care. I don't care to have a big following. I'm mostly doing my content to have to look back on in a later date when I'm old and decrepit and to, for this kind of stuff right now, to interact with the people I've met in the community to become friends with just so we can kind of use it as another medium to keep in touch with each other, see what's happening. That's a, that's a great I'll, point. I, I'll admit it. I am ass. I am terrible keeping in contact through like text messaging emails like if it's not a phone call or some like a face-to-face -face interaction in person or even a video chat i am highly likely to see the message put my phone down completely forget about it yeah i think it's an, it's an access thing mm -hmm. so just having the videos and doing premieres and having the comment section it's just another way for me to have interaction with these you know you amazing people that i've gotten to meet this year because of writing right i tell the guys on the discord every morning good morning you know mm -hmm. um and i get a good morning back and i talk to these people more than i talk to most of my family yeah uh, yep. my direct blood blood relatives and uh yeah. there's a lot to be said for that you know there is a genuine community here and i think one of the things that the world is suffering from now is a lack of community there's yeah. sayings like it takes a community to raise a child or, you know, community is what you fall back on in hard times. And we've lost a lot of that. We've lost a lot of the sense of community that used to exist in sort of 1950s nuclear family society. Um, and I don't know that that was a good thing. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know a whole lot about a whole lot, but I can see what works. And uh, people being good to each other works, I think. Yeah. Go ahead. I totally agree. I mean, going along with what you're saying, I have interacted conversation-wise, comments, like direct messages with everyone on this stream, in the group chat, you know, in this in this community. 
I've interacted with all of you more since October, since Forgotten Angels Campout, than I have interacted with my two siblings who are within an hour of me. And that's including seeing them in person, call, phone calls, text messages, group chats, family events. In this that's just because we're cooler than they are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. pretty I mean, much. My brother, my brother thinks Forgotten Angels is a cult, but he's part of an he's part of an RC. He is basically in a motorcycle cult, but thinks that Forgotten Angels is a cult. We're a good cult. I don't care. Yeah, we're helping people. Helping people who got handed a shit deck. Man, I don't know if that's a cult, but sign me up. But yeah, you know, so, I'd so, sign up for that one. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, why does it matter? Like, why are you taking out of everything I've talked about with Forgotten Angels and talking about these awesome people I've met? Why is your takeaway? Oh, it sounds like a cult. Because we've all met through one dude talking about something. Is that what it is? Brewster says your brother's an idiot. and I'm kind of inclined to agree. No, no, he, he totally is. So to kind of. Yeah, to go back to what you were saying, though, about why you started a channel, because I had the same thought as like, I didn't jo create a YouTube channel for the sake of like, oh, I want to have a huge following or I want to be a full time YouTuber someday or I want to be super successful. It felt very much to me like if I want to create deeper connections with the people that I've been watching on the Internet. And I learned this at the March camp out for sure. It's like good or bad. If you want to be around people that you've seen on the internet, you kind of have to bring value to them in a way that is meaningful. So if you're also a content creator, that's sort of mutually beneficial, right? That isn't to say that people that don't have a YouTube channel aren't welcome or, or aren't having those interactions with it's just like, I think if you have that desire that you want to build that deeper connection, I think having a channel is like, that's probably the main way that you're going to do that because otherwise you're just a person that comes and supports the camp out and we love you just the same, but it's an access thing. You have, if you, if you want to build that community, I think having a social presence is a part of that. And again, whether that's good or bad, that's a whole other thing. It's not for me to, to decide, yeah. but well, I mean, that's at, the way I feel about it. At Camp Out the Quarry, that was the first time I interacted with you and with Chase, with Whiskey Chaser. And you both pointed out that on my helmet, I had to mount for the GoPro and asked if I made videos. I said, no, I just record for kind of my own stuff to look back on. And then I got in uh, Chase's Discord. And one of the first things you both said was like, well, why don't you make a channel? Like, if you already, you're already yep. recording, why not just edit and make stuff? And over the next, what was it? two months from July up to like the beginning of October when I made my first video, you guys were like, well, just, just do it. Just do it. It's another way to interact with people. And I kind of took that in stride and I, I've enjoyed the time that I've gotten to spend talking with everyone in the premieres and, you know, just kind of discussing, you know, the things of like, Hey, well, you know, you're doing this in the video. Why don't you try that? Or, you know, just like learning purposes, like bleak. Uh, I know we talked about, in several episodes back you one of the things you're really excited about with this community is getting everyone's experiences and learning what you can from them and mm -hmm. for me it's very much the same way and i'm also hoping that these videos can be used for the same thing if not for me then for somebody else right you know, maybe somebody who's looking into writing 
and is looking into getting what would be called a beginner bike, you know, like the Rebel 250 or the Rebel 500, or sorry, the scooter, as Goon likes to call it. You know, I put that in all of my videos. I tag it as one of the main tags. Maybe they'll stumble across it. They'll see what I've done with it and feel slightly inspired by that to start riding. And that is a little less of interacting with this community, but it could pull a new member into this community. So whether it inspires somebody, whether it's just for this kind of interaction, anything that can happen, I'm excited to see what what it'll do. So when I started creating, I had a single GoPro and the Ducati Scrambler uh, platform, but the Ducati Cafe Racer bike. Well, growing up, I worked in a tattoo studio, and I'd always hear the hum of the machines. And there was something almost like meditating about it. And when I got onto a motorcycle, I noticed the exhaust did something similar for me. And I knew I was going to be coming into winter. And I started recording these videos. And it, on my channel, my original videos I ever filmed are still there. And it's there's no talking. I didn't have any kind of audio equipment. Um, there's no editing. It was just pure upload. And uh, somewhere along the lines, I'd gotten some software. I started doing some editing. And I got a comment on one of my videos from a guy named Riding Humboldt County who kind of fueled me up like he he took away the gasoline and handed me rocket fuel he, he said some things that were so positive and so moving to me he's like i watch I, i've been at this a while and he's got a you know a good substantial following and well established and he said i've been at this a while and your content's unique and i really enjoyed your video man in fact if you put out another video next week i'm going to tune in and I, I don't know, for the first time thought like, oh, someone likes my stuff. I was just screwing around. You know, I made my first horror themed video um, come from an old school punk rock background. And so I thought, well, what's better than a little horror business? And I, I'll put that oh, into a video. Yeah. And uh, so I made this horror themed video. And that was the one he was like, man, this is really cool. I never thought about a horror moto vlog. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I've always been kind of creative. Maybe this is a place to put some of that creativity. And I've got a journey. You know, I went through being a drug addict and, and picking myself up and rebuilding a life to where I'm a homeowner, a business owner, and I get to ride motorcycles. And if I can share something to somebody that helps them pick themselves up out of the dirt and go to work and put together a life like I did, I want to do that. And I saw oh, Shade Tree's yeah. videos where he's like, ride whatever you got. Just try to be good to people. Let's let's make make something to where I, I had so much rocket fuel in me. I just started, I, I put out a challenge. Let's make a hundred videos over the next year. And I, you know, I, I did about half, but it I had so much fuel in me to just get those creative juices flowing and get them out there that uh I couldn't hold it back. Oh yeah. So I'm kind of in a similar boat, um, but Chase was actually the one that started encouraging me. And Adventure Glide, he's in the chat. He messaged me a few times. Good dude. Um, yeah, Bry the Bikers messaged me a couple times. Josh, and it's it's added fuel. But I I wish I had started my channel when I was in Alaska because I really wanted to share those experiences of being on a road while there are bikers up there 
not a lot of people post a lot about it. Um, and it's not for, oh, I'm going to get views out of this. No, that it's just to share the experience, to bring, as Josh would say, to bring the world a little closer through shared videos. I don't, as I said earlier, I don't care if I hit a thousand subscribers or, you know, do this full time or make money. It's sharing the experiences and getting to know people. And one second. There we go. Sorry about that. And then interacting with like you guys and chat. And getting, like, I've got to know you, Aaron, Bleak, Juice, Charlie, Moto Diablo. <laughs> uh, I got to know Diplomat, Dave, who was in the chat earlier. Just so many people. Boo. Yeah, I got to, I recently got to meet Nicole. <laughs> and it's been such a it, th this year alone since i started my channel has been such a period of growth in the number of people that i know and i've had a blast doing it and i'm really excited to see what next year brings because i've got well i don't have the new helmet i'm going back to an old helmet but i've got better cameras better microphones i have learned from mistakes from this year and I have so many more content creator friends that I can, hey, man, I'm I'm lost here. I, I have an idea, but I can't get it to where I want it. And do you I can I can reach out and be like, hey, Chase or Aaron or Charlie, do you have I, I need advice for this particular piece of content? I looked at your your panel while I was talking, Juice. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have good advice. I just have my advice. My advice and, is always send it. Well, yeah, my my advice is usually send it, but I have realized my my big point of contention is and I'm I'm not afraid to admit it. Like when I'm working on something like putting my what are they? My uh damn it, my new saddlebags on. I had content filmed, and then I got frustrated while I was in the middle of putting them on because I ran into a few issues, and I just – I said fuck it and turned the camera off and just kept working. So my big – my big hang-up is actually you know, doing my hands-on like build, and I'm going to work on that with the CB750 build. <laughs> I, those are my least favorite videos that I've made, but I've had fun working on it. I just – it's getting angles and filming shit and actually working. It, it's <laughs> – I've got, I've got an idea for this actually because I think we have a shared frustration of working on vintage bikes. I know we have this stream, but I'm wondering if like – there's a day of the week, or even if it's just spontaneous, where like we just work on our vintage bikes on a live stream and just like mutually express frustration to the world on like a shared live stream kind of deal. 
there would be there would have to be an age restriction on that because there would be so much foul language coming out of my fucking mouth. Oh, the same. It would it would be unreal. Welcome back, Sentinel. Just, just foul language, not like tools flying through windows. Oh, there would stuff. be shit throwing everywhere. <laughs> that reminds me of how like I threw one of my saddlebags when I realized. Well, it wasn't the saddlebag. It was the saddlebag... Not the fucking saddlebag mount. It was the turn signal mount that... Um, I cannot think of the name of my saddlebags. Why am I Viking drawing a blank bags? on this? Yes, my Viking bags. Of course they're Viking bags. You're probably sponsored. <laughs> no, <nerd>. not at all. <laughs> no, he didn't make a good enough video like Rainy did. No, I... <laughs> I deleted every portion of content that I filmed from no, that debacle. I, I get that because I recently, the other day, so the video I released earlier today, I was actually planning to do next week. But um, the two other videos I was working on, I sat down and watched the progress I made through them, and I absolutely hated them. I hated every second of it, so I just deleted them and rushed to put this video together for today. Well, see, I plan on putting out a video like you had, and we talked about this, I think it was yesterday? I think earlier this week when we were doing our yeah. kind of like... I, I have a, a whole thank you video, even though I could probably just snip this portion out. <laughs> um, but no, I, I did. I got so frustrated when I was putting these Viking bags on because this stupid fucking turn signal mount that they gave me did not work in the slightest. They mm -hmm. neglected, and they updated the website after I brought it up, but it does not work with the lay-down license plates that the lowrider that you can buy for a lowrider S. Yep. It only works with the stock turns the, the stock license plate holder. That's pretty dumb. So, and I'm sure you, oh, Juice, I know you saw it at the campout, how I had to take the little rhino mount looking thing, the shark fin, off my turn signals, sure. and then mount them directly to the fender. Remember. I don't remember. Sorry. I remember you we were highly it, intoxicated the it. entire time. Um, I get it. Um, yes, that was that was going to be my first comment. Was that well, that was a while ago, and I've had many a beers and other things since then. Your bike's um, pretty, I mean, though. I do remember that. In as a whole, it's just the fine details are not so. Not I still so need to get that fucking dent out of the tank. Um, yep. I have a plan for that. Just suck it out. Buying the things I need. Um, so I need shit. Aaron for that. Uh, actually, <laughs> weirdly enough, Rainy told me about this uh, motor vlogger the other day, Red Rider, and in one of her videos that I watch, she shows a great way to make an at-home uh, way to like pop out dents out of tanks, and it's just some scrap metal, some rubber, and an air compressor. Hmm. Sounds kinky. I like it. Basically, yeah. they you make a jig that you can put through the um, opening of the fuel tank and that you can tighten down so it seals it off. You seal the petcock, taking all the gas out and taking the... You do what to your cock now? You close the petcock. You pet it. You pet your cock? And then you slowly, <laughs> and not, not using like a... You know, like a regular air compressor for your tires, but like a bicycle one that you physically pump up. Bleak, how big is yours if you're sitting here like this? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm I'm genuinely curious now. He's saying, like, yes, my precious. But, a golem with the fucking ring. But anyways, she... <laughs> Red, in the video, Red Rider shows... Blake's over shows, here playing Lord of the Cock Ring. But in the video, Red Rider shows... <laughs> You, know, you you seal off the opening for you to fill up the gas. You turn off the petcock, and you just slowly use a bicycle tire pump to pressurize the tank. And a lot of the bigger dents just pop right out. Gollum, gollum. <laughs> oh my god! I swear on those pencil tools. All right. <laughs> and that's my cue. All right, so we're going to need Seventh Sentinel to include this in the upcoming D&D stream. <laughs> oh, I've already got a voice figured out for the character and everything. I just need to write the backstory. God damn it. <laughs> Sentinel's like, that's cool. Right. You're, you're going to go with what I say, and that's that. Yeah, probably. I'm not doing a Gollum voice the entire night. I will not be able to talk. Okay, so honestly, I'm I'm about tapped out. We're, yeah, we're yeah. good. <laughs> I we appreciate everybody coming by. Um, for those of you that are possibly just tuning in or tuning back in, Sid, <laughs> eat um, a dick. You, I don't care. Fucking. Can I, may I talk, please, sir? Had too much sauce. Um, so anyways, I start blasting. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> you are you are step trucker bait. You are not step trucker. I... <laughs> oh yeah, Bruiser, that's coming up. Um, we'll we'll talk about more about that at the beginning of next. Well, in a couple weeks actually. Um. Anyway, getting back on topic, you guys can find this stream on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or the most other major streaming platforms for podcasts. Still working some technical issues out with some of that shit. <laughs> uh, but we hope you guys enjoyed. This is definitely running on one of our longer ones. Uh, we hope that everything that we talked about comes in handy for at least some new writer at some point. And we had a blast and we hope you guys did too. You guys got anything else? Love, peace, chicken grease, baby. Merry Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy new year. We'll see you next Friday Merry for Christmas, the new year guys. special. Bye y'all. <laughs>